Welcome to this week's Debunked. I'm Michael Brooks. Debunked is your weekly guide to the best conspiracy theories, rumors, and sometimes truths that lurk at the margins of the internet. On this week's Debunked, is American public education a communist conspiracy? Now, it doesn't really matter much to me, to be honest with you, because I was homeschooled, so <laughs> sorry, suckers, if it was a communist conspiracy. Now, you might be asking yourself, why would you even take on something this ludicrous and ridiculous, Michael? Well, first of all, uh, because it's funny. Secondly, because you never know, it might actually be true. And third, because the man who made this claim might be the father of the next president of the United States. Let me explain. Rafael Cruz, the dad of one Ted Cruz, the most disturbing, in my personal opinion, sociopathic man running for president, was being interviewed on Sirius XM radio this past week, talking to Breitbart News, their program on Sirius. And he said the following about American public education. John Dewey, to quote Cruz, or if I may, if you'll indulge me, John Dewey was a member of the Communist Party. That's how Rafael Cruz sounds. I'm sorry. I didn't make it up. There is a little bit of a Ricky Ricardo thing going on over there. I apologize. It just happens to be the case. He did identify John Dewey correctly as a secular humanist, but he claimed he was a communist, which, you know, frankly, you never know. Maybe he was. Maybe a communist should get more credit in this country for good ideas like American public education. So I looked into it. Was John Dewey a communist? And shockingly, mind-blowingly, he wasn't. No, John Dewey was actually an intense opponent of Stalinism. He was an intense opponent of apologies for the Soviet Union and, in fact, was the co-founder of the Anti-Communist Committee for Cultural Freedom and an avowed anti-communist. He was a self-identified democratic socialist, which, as we all know, is similar to another guy who's running for president, obviously not Ted Cruz. And his primary commitment was to democracy, democracy through civil society and democracy through education. Why is it that people like Rafael Cruz, who always seem to be at the forefront of claiming that they love America the most, want America to be a true democracy, want our traditions to be honored, are always making up lies about some of America's most important figures in developing and amplifying democracy? Well, probably because they're totally crazy and deranged. So, was American public education a communist conspiracy? Unfortunately, it was not. We can say debunked. See you next week. My name is Ben Burgess. This is Give Them an Argument. Uh, in a few minutes, I am going to be arguing with uh, libertarian Adam Kokish. Uh, and after that, I am going to be speaking to uh, my friend Jason Miles from the This Is Revolution podcast. And of course, we've got Griscom uh, later on, and we'll answer super chat questions. 
the clip that you uh, just watched uh, was from 2016, uh, which which you can tell from the reference to uh, uh, Ted Cruz running for president, and uh, at that point, see maybe seeming like the worst person with the chance of uh, of winning. Um, and uh, and that was the, of course, uh, the uh, the late great Michael Brooks, without whom, for many reasons, the show wouldn't exist. Uh, and this is a really interesting thing. I actually only found this out uh, after he passed, uh, since I had uh, from um, 2019 uh, around, you know, shortly before the time that my uh, first book, Give Them an Argument. Uh, logic for the left was going to come out up until Michael passed uh, last summer. Uh, I was doing this regular, you know, sometimes it was every other week, but usually weekly segment on his show called the debunk, which was his idea uh, that like the entirely, you know, his idea, both the uh, doing a segment like that and what we were going to call it. Uh, but I never knew until after he passed and somebody found one of these old clips for me that he had briefly in 2016, uh, done this segment for the majority report. This is, of course, before the Michael Brooks show existed, uh, called Debunked. Uh, so apparently, this is an idea that he had a long time ago. Yeah, um, I, I didn't know about it until I was going through uh, clips for like the the reel that I did for um, for like the the episode right after he passed, where we did the like we we had all of the um, like you know we had everybody pay tribute and stuff. So I, I saw a couple of those and I was like, wow, like that is like debunk must have been a, an idea going through his head for quite some time. Yeah, right. Because uh, at least uh, at least three years, you know, before he, he suggested it to me or, uh, you know, very slight variation on it. And of course, uh, the segment that, that I did for Michael, the debunk uh, segment, I think, uh, even though, again, the sort of idea of having a short segment like that with the name that had debunked the word debunk in it. Um, is an idea that he'd had for a long time. Uh, I, I do think that based on the clips I've seen, as far as I can tell, uh, he only did eight of these debunked segments uh, for the majority report. Uh, you know, it was, it was ended, it was ended quickly enough that uh, the, um, that the, the, the last one still say our new segment, you know, debunks. Yeah. Uh, but I wonder and, if we even remembered that, he had done that because um, MR like tried out so many different variations of, uh, of like weekly segments at, at one point or another. And uh, a lot of them didn't stick. Cause I think they're best when they do, you know, like just their, their riffing stuff like back and forth. I mean, no matter who's hosting it. Yeah. So I think these like more scripted uh, segments really work as well. A lot of times. Yeah. Uh, banana. That was for the chat. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but Yeah. Um. Yeah. Right. Sure. I I can imagine if that was something that they'd been obviously only done for a couple months in 2016 while they were playing with a bunch of different ideas. He might or might not have even remembered what he suggested to me. Uh, but it's something that I, I've been thinking about, you know, lately because uh, people have suggested, you know, that uh, you know they really liked that that segment, you know, that I did with Michael and and. Uh, both, you know, the, the segment itself, you know, it was fun. There was a, you know, well, actually, there were two different intro songs at different points. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and then, um, and, and I think, you know, just the, the banter, you know, with, with Michael was, was fun. 
but then I think also people liked, you know, the the idea uh, of of that segment. You know, they liked the the content of it, having you know, like responses to to right wing and centrist arguments. You know, that they could they could kind of trot out and and plug in. Um, you know, well, back when you know, back when you could have like family gatherings and stuff. You know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, so I've I've had a few people ask, you know, if if we could, you know, incorporate something a little bit more like that, you know, into, um, uh, you know, into the show. And I thought about it because I was I was pretty hesitant, you know, for a long time, uh, you know, because I'm obviously obviously doing segments on you know bad you know, right-wing arguments is something I'm, I'm always interested in doing, but it's, you know, like I wouldn't want to make it seem like I was trying to repeat that exact thing. Like, like when TMBS was still going on after, you know, for a little while after Michael died, um, you know, they're still doing stuff with the channel, but when the show, you know, the Michael Brooks show was still going on, uh, you know, there was, there was a point where they were asking if, if I wanted to do that. And I wasn't really comfortable with that because, um, you know, just because that was a that was a unique thing, right? You know, that was something that that existed, you know, from 2019 to uh, to 2020, and obviously, since Michael isn't here to do his half of those the segments, you know, that's that's just something that that can't exist. Yeah. But I do I do like the idea of of doing something like that and incorporating that into into that this show. You know, having like a short segment where we we do something, you know, somewhat along those lines where we, we watch a, uh, a clip of some reactionary creed and making a terrible argument and, and we talk about what's wrong with it. So I, I think uh, we'll, we'll def- we're, we're definitely not going to call it the debunk because, yeah. you know, that was its own thing that existed at its own time. But, but I, I think I do want to do something like that. So if people are watching and they have things that have been sort of stored up that they'd particularly like to see me talk about one argument or another, you know, and, and obviously I'd chat with Forrest about and everything. Um, then, uh, you know, then let me know, right. You know, like, like you can, you can do that through the, um, you know, the, the Patreon or the discord or Twitter, or, you know, however you want to do that, you know, but I, I'm, I'm, I, I think I'm officially open a suggestion, you know, for, for things to cover in segments like that going forward. Yeah, I think that that would be that would be uh, fun to do. Yeah. Um, so uh, so yeah, we will we will start. I think I think do that doing that. Um, you know, doing that starting uh, starting next week. Um, and uh, and yeah, I mean, I think also, you know, I've been you know we've been trying out you know a uh, a few different things uh, with the uh, the channel. And it's, um, you know, all of which, you know, all of which have been good, you know, but I, th- I think we've also been kind of learning, you know, as the uh, invisible hand of the free market has been guiding us to, uh, to you know, to, to sort of figuring out what, you know, what people are most interested in seeing and, and, and whatever. And so I, I just, you know, I just want people to generally know that, you know, that, that we are listening, you know, to, to what people, you know, what people want and trying to craft, you know, good uh, you know, good versions of those, uh, you know, we've, we've been doing, uh, so like one thing that I think has been going very well has been the Sunday night series of, uh, of debate breakdowns. We're up to, uh, we're up to 11 of those with, uh, uh, Terry Eagleton versus Roger Scruton last night. Uh, and, and I think, um, and I think that in there, like a lot of people respond to, 
not just the sort of immediately political stuff, but but some of the more, um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, for, <laughs> um, See, we're listening. We're listening in real we're time. Already we're already listening. We're already listening. We're throwing stuff up. You know, we're we're we're, we're listening to the suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, but uh, but yeah, I think people respond not just to the immediately political stuff, but to uh, to to the more uh, you know the more abstract you know philosophical arguments too, you know, and and we'll you know we're 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 trying to figure out the um, you know the right balance uh, you know between uh, you know between those things you know going forward and you know kind of what makes sense uh, you know what what kind of makes sense for uh, for the show. Uh, but meanwhile, before um, uh, before Adam comes on, I want to talk. I want to uh, show a little preview of uh, what we're doing uh, for patrons on uh, on Thursday. So uh, we've been doing, you know, these main you know Monday night episodes, uh, and then on Thursdays uh, there's a uh, there's a you know. Uh, there's a second episode that uh, that drops for uh, for patrons, and the one uh, that we did um, with uh, the one that we did uh, for this Thursday was a discussion with uh, Sam Adler Bell, uh, who is among other things the uh, the co-host of a podcast that I really like uh, called uh, uh, called Know uh, Know Your Enemy. Uh, which which kind of gets back to that that business about debunking and you know and and, and taking on the right, uh, since that's a uh, that's a podcast by two socialists, uh, Sam and uh, uh, Matthew Sitman, who's been a past guest on uh, on the show, you know where they're talking a lot about the history of conservatism, um, but in this case, uh, you know we're talking not about conservatives but about an article uh, that uh, that Sam wrote for uh, the Drift. Uh, magazine about a somebody who has sort of been pretty much sainted in the imagination of American liberals who's Anthony Fauci. Yeah. You know, it's good to have you on anyway, anyway, you know, to talk about the stuff that you, uh, that you normally talk about, which is uh, conservatism, but uh, then you know, we can do that some other time, but uh, I thought that I thought yeah. that it would be this would be good. And I, I think there's like an interesting intersection point between the two subjects because something about like, you know, the art, like the article is devoted in part to kind of, you know, making the case against, you know, Fauci's record and, you know, his decisions during COVID. Uh, but it's also devoted in part to talking about the, uh, the liberal cult of Fauci. Yeah. And even though Fauci is, you know, is somebody who, well, as you talk about extensively in the article, uh, his, uh, you know, his shtick is about being a political technocrat. Yeah. Uh, but it still seems to me, at least, like there's something about the liberal cult of Fauci that has something in common with the liberal cult of a bunch of other figures who are supposed to be like the adults in the room, you know, yeah. reasonable people. Uh, and most of those guys tend to be Republicans. Like there's this particular thing about contemporary American liberal, liberalism where it seems like there's a need to latch on 
to somebody who's maybe a little bit older, you know, yeah. comes from a different generation as like a good or reasonable conservative. Yeah. Yeah. Like Romney and Mueller. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting. I mean, the interesting thing about the like adults in the room thing is mm. that for the most part, that argument has been, was made at the beginning of the Trump administration, primarily on behalf of conservatives, conservative Republicans who chose to serve in the administration, despite having serious misgivings about his character or something like that. And then you would have people on the outside, usually also conservatives saying, well, if he wasn't there, it would be worse. That guy is like keeping Trump from doing the worst possible thing. It was like when John Kelly was in there, it was like, well, this is good um, because he's going to you know, keep Trump from doing his worst impulses, blah, blah, blah. But the most part, liberals didn't buy that, you know, mm. mostly for the most part, the liberals were like, if you work for this administration, you're a collaborator and that's bullshit and we don't buy it. I mean, in right. their, to, you know, to their credit, right. Yeah. To, to liberals credit. Fauci is an exception to that rule. Fauci worked for the Trump administration, you know, the entire time uh, was, indisputably the face of the medical and scientific kind of response to mm. the crisis from the federal government, um, but was completely unscathed, basically completely unscathed by the fact that um, the COVID response was an unmitigated disaster mm. across the board. Um, I don't think that like Fauci is exactly comparable to like a conservative who joined the administration to try to like achieve conservative right. goals. Obviously he's a scientist. He's been the head of NIAID for decades upon decades. And, um, his, his, you know, goal is to, you know, do good science and, and serve, uh, serve the medical needs of the, of the, of the American public and do good research. I mean, primarily like he, he his, his only like, official authority is over the national institutes of um what is it uh in infectious disease mm -hmm. uh so it's, well you know too bad i don't know exactly but NIAID, yeah. which you know he's he oversees the research establishment the federal government's research establishment over infectious disease but over the course of his career obviously that his remit has expanded to kind of be the face of the federal government in turn when there is a um infectious disease outbreak um, but yeah, that's just to say that I, I think there's more to say about the liberal infatuation with Fauci, which can talk about that more, yeah. but he doesn't exactly fit the typical model of the adult in the room. You know, the adult in the room was something that the liberals ultimately, uh, were very skeptical of. Yeah, no, that's right. So I, I guess maybe the distinction to be made is there, there is this, this series of figures, who are generally older conservatives who who liberals have kind of idolized for um well i mean you know i think there are definitely pre you know pre-trump antecedents to this yeah, uh, yeah. but you know for anti-trumpist reasons but the difference but the rest of those guys were people who were not like working in the, in the administration yeah, yeah outside the administration right yeah, yeah you're, you're supposed to be tainted if you work in the administration and it's it's not the focus of my article but hmm. In, in terms of why it seemed worthwhile to write it, sort of just as one of the symptoms of the problem that I'm identifying, the fact that Fauci has been able to been, be inside the administration without ever getting that taint 
of having worked with them. Um, and as I argue in the piece, without actually vociferously condemning all the terrible things that they were doing, um, it's, it's, it's remarkable that he has come out so unscathed. So yeah, so uh, if you watch the the interview or you read uh, you read Sam's piece in uh, in the drift, you know you, you can see. Obviously, we haven't really gotten into uh, you know what the argument is there for uh, for scathing him. You know, we're we're just talking about how interested it is that he's he's gotten out unscathed because you'd think being the major face of you know the main face of uh, the medical establishment during a fuck up as monumental as the U.S. code response to COVID-19 um, would, you know, I mean, like, like just a priori, if you just heard that about somebody, you'd think, yeah, no, that, that would be like, they would have to resign. They, there'd be a huge problem. And it's so yeah. it's, it's interesting that Fauci has maintained the level of popularity, even with Republicans, but, you know, but certainly with, with liberals that, that he has. Uh, and of course uh, a lot of that is because this idea, well, he's, you know, he was, you know, he's trying to do all the right things. You know, it's, it's just Trump isn't listening. Of course, right. there's, 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 there's some truth to that for sure. Uh, that, you know, that obviously nobody thinks all of his preferences were being enacted or, you know, that, that certainly nobody thinks that Trump, you know, listened to uh, medical and scientific experts. But also Fauci's own record includes some massive public fuck-ups. I mean, like, I, yeah. I, I want to get Adam on in a minute, but, uh, but I want to play... Uh, one of you know one of these clips that we have of of his early public comments on COVID. Um, is it the the mask one? Yeah, let's do the mask one. Let's okay, see. yeah, because that's the that's the one that's most mind blowing to me. Um, hold on. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You're sure of it because people are listening really no, closely to this. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better. And it might even block a, a droplet. But it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And often, there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask and they keep touching their face. Now, getting back to your first question, which was what about a month or so or two or three ago when people were saying, you don't really need to wear a mask? Well, the reason for that is that we were concerned, the public health community, and many people were saying this, were concerned that it was at a time when personal protective equipment, including the N95 masks and the surgical masks, were in very short supply. And we wanted to make sure that the people, namely the healthcare workers, who were brave enough to put themselves in a harm ways to take care of people who you know were infected with the coronavirus and the danger of them getting infected, we did not want them to be without the equipment that they needed. So there was not enthusiasm about going out and everybody buying a mask or getting a mask. We were afraid that that would deter away from the people who really needed it. This is a physical covering to prevent uh, uh, droplets and virus to get in. So if you have a physical covering with one layer, you put another layer on, it just makes common sense that it likely would be more effective. And that's the reason why you see people either double masking or doing a version of an N95. 
Yeah. So that the second common sense. He's been saying it the whole time. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I mean, look, the uh, the most remarkable clip in that series is the one in the middle uh, because he's based. I mean, it sure sounds to me like in the second one he's saying that he was lying. Oh yeah, no, he was. <laughs> he was uh, saying that you can't trust. And there's a there's a herd immunity clip where he kind of says something very very similar to this, where he's saying, oh, like basically we didn't trust that people weren't gonna you know, go out and buy too many masks and, and, and ruin it for healthcare workers. You know, we just wanted to be sure. Which yeah, number one says something about him, but also the CDC, that was the recommendation at the time. And yeah, well, yeah, no, that was. We should be fair about that, right? The CDC was saying that, who was saying that originally. For the same reason. But if you looked at their stated rationalizations, because this is the thing, we, we didn't really see it in that second clip, but there are other places where Fauci... Um, you know, sort of tried to suggest that, oh, it was like new information that came in, the evidence changed, uh, because now we understand that asymptomatic spread is a big thing. Uh, but like we we're talking, you know, I was talking about Sam in the interview. Uh-uh. Uh, the, uh, they're like, Fauci in January was saying that asymptomatic spread was a thing. So it's not that he'd suddenly found this out, you know, when he, when he did the flip-flop. Um you know, and uh, and to the extent that there's ambiguity in the evidence about how big, how much asymptomatic spread drives it, that didn't go away either, right? It's not yeah. the evidence change. So the more, like, okay, maybe he's telling the truth in the second clip where he says he was lying because, uh, you know, because uh, so people wouldn't start buying up all the masks. But, okay, one, uh, there are plenty of other countries where they just really quickly ramped up production of masks so they didn't have that problem. We could have done that, uh, you know, if if Trump had, Trump had invoked the Defense Production Act, you know, really early on, uh, you know, like right at the beginning of all, all of this, you know, uh, you know, Cuba was having uh, like factories that would normally make school uniforms, redirecting them to uh, to, to mass produce masks, but also like. And, and this is the last point, because I, I want to get Adam on and, and, and start the uh, that, that segment of the show. Um, but the old rationalization is total nonsense. Like, And again, that's what the CDC was saying, like you're saying. But in both cases, it's total nonsense on its own terms, because you could make this like you could. And in fact, some people did at the time, you know, when Ralph Nader was out there pushing seatbelts, you know, and, and, and trying to get the uh, force the car companies to uh I put out seatbelts, people made the same argument then uh, that, oh, you know, people think that they're safe and they'll start driving more recklessly. Uh, this is like a social conservative anti-condom argument. Uh, yeah. you know, like it's, it's, it's total nonsense. Uh, it makes no sense on its own terms. And if he's telling the truth in the second clip where he's saying he was lying in the first clip in order to, uh, to, so people wouldn't buy up all the masks, even if you think that was necessary, even if you think that was the only thing that could have been done, um, then, uh, then surely part of that should have been falling on his sword and resigning, uh, later, because if you have, and this is one of the biggest thing that gets me about this, right. In that, in that clip we started with, you know, Michael was talking about conspiracy theories. Well, look, if you think it's important to, uh, to stop, um, uh, like that to stop the spread of disinformation and conspiracy theories. And honestly, I think liberals have like really inflated 
how important that is. They, they sort of think that's like the supreme imperative of politics. Yeah. But it is good to, to, uh, to, to do what we can to combat disinformation and conspiracy theories. Well, having somebody who now admits that he was lying about medical information be the face of the government response is like catnip for conspiracy theorists. This oh, is completely. And, and I think that, you know, you know, there's a big difference between politics in general and politics during a pandemic. Politics during a pandemic, it's more important than anything that, that you know, scientists, I guess, and, and, and doctors that are, that are putting information out there keep themselves pristine when it comes to public trust. And that was cat, definitely catnip for people who were trying to undermine public trust. Because, you know, in one second, you can just look at that clip and say, look, that person is lying to you. The information changed. But on top of that, he's admitting the information changed because he doesn't trust you. But I think that it also plays into the liberal, the liberal obsession with Fauci because, you know, you can claim that you were in the know, kind of, if, if you say, oh, well, you know, that was CDC guidance. And, you know, you really can't trust people not to buy all the masks. So it's kind of that, like, meritocratic elite argument where you're like, well, you know, you can't, you know, look at how people treated toilet paper. You can't trust that people weren't going to yeah, go yeah, buy yeah. all the masks. Yeah. 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 No, for, for sure. Right. Like, um, that, yeah, it, it's a terrible, you know, it's ridiculous that you, that you think that the only way to, to you know, to manage this uh, is by lying to people. Uh, it really undermines later credibility. And I see, you know, in the chat, you know, somebody said, well, okay, you know, but he would have just been replaced by a lackey. Uh, but even if you accept that he was able to, you know, by him being the one instead of a lackey, that he was able to do a bunch of good within the Trump administration, which, by the way, really undercuts the argument that he, uh, that, um, that we had to, um, uh, that it's not his fault. You know, because Trump didn't listen to him. Well, how much good yeah. do you if if his best excuse for everything that happened is that it's not his fault because he wasn't listened to? But even putting all that aside, okay, fine. That maybe applies for him staying on until now, but it doesn't justify the Biden administration keeping him on now. Yeah, no, definitely not. And uh, I mean, I don't know. I also think it's pretty wild that during the Reagan administration, he was the one in charge of um, the stuff with the AIDS epidemic. And, you know, that was the most, probably more than coronavirus, that was the most disastrous, I think, public health policy in, in recent history. Yeah. So, um, and, and even though, to be fair, you know, he did have a better approach by the end of it. He definitely did at the beginning. He was criticized very harshly by like, yeah. and, you know, AIDS activists early on. But even though he did, to be fair, have a better approach by the end, the fact that he had initially overseen the really bad approach to AIDS and then somehow decades later, this guy is still here to be the public face of the uh, the COVID fuck up is is a pretty remarkable testament to, um, you know, to how anybody who's sort of seen as as an important expert uh, is, is really immunized, uh, you know, no pun intended from how uh, from how you'd think that democratic politics would work in terms of holding public officials accountable. Yeah. Well, he's not like an elected official. You know what I mean? Like there's no democratic process. Yeah, right. But sure. No, he's not, but you would think that there would be more pressure. I think, in, yeah. I think with a better democratic culture, I think there'd be more pressure even for appointed, you know, scientific officials uh, for, uh, for people, you know, to, uh, to, to be held to account by the elected officials who appoint them. Uh, or at the very least, not to keep on 
hiring them uh, yeah. you know, administration after administration. Yeah, in the same like even in the same role, like you know what I mean? Like his role doesn't get switched between exactly. like departments or something. Like he's he's very specifically involved in public health outreach. Exactly. Uh, each time. All right, so that drops the the full interview with with Sam Adler Bell drops on Thursdays uh, for uh, for patrons. Um, we should uh, you know we should should say to um, you know to uh, you know be uh, that to um, to get that and every other uh, you know patron uh, patron bonus episode, uh, then you can go to uh, patreon.com slash Ben Burgess. Uh, and, um, you know, for, for five bucks a month, you get, uh, all of those Thursday episodes. Uh, you also get access to the discord. You also get regularly scheduled, uh, discord office hours, group voice chats, at least once a month, uh, sometimes more than that. Uh, and, um, and we are going to introduce, uh, you know, more features, you know, we've, we've, we've got some other ideas coming down the line. Uh, but mostly, you know, we really support, you know, appreciate the support and solidarity for everybody who does sign up to, to do that, to help us do everything that we do here. But with no further ado, uh, let's, uh, let's bring on Adam. Hey, Adam, you're muted. Sorry, I was being go. extra polite listening in on that conversation earlier. Thank you so much for having me, Ben. Yeah, yeah, no, my pleasure. Uh, so uh, you want to uh, introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. Well, as it says right here on this wonderful StreamYard caption, my name is Adam Kokesh because Ben has his game together. And uh, I don't know, he's probably going to get links to the freedomline.com and Adam versus the man uh, .com on uh, the description for this video. And I do a podcast Monday through Friday. I'm live 9 to 11 a.m. Pacific time, Adam versus the man. It's a lot of fun covering current events, but also. In a, in a sort of news block, longer term digest format. So it's it, it's a great way of being able to keep up with current events and break out of the mainstream media, 24 hour fear cycle, be afraid of this now kind of way of presenting current events. And uh, I was in the Marine Corps, if you couldn't tell from the crayons in my teeth and the dumb look on my face, I volunteered to go to Iraq. I was in Fallujah in 2004 and uh, that's what led me to join Iraq Veterans Against the War when I got out. And that was my start in, in full-time activism. And a big part of my process was realizing that it wasn't enough to be against this war or even the global war uh, of terror or even militarism, but statism itself, the idea that authoritarianism or, or any kind of collective action somehow makes ethics irrelevant when it's done in the name of government. That's really the premise of ethical libertarianism that, that I subscribe to, as some would call it, uh, voluntarism. And so I've been a, a civil disobedience activist uh, of, of one kind or another since uh, since I got out of the Marines and, and moved to D.C. and joined, uh, ran away with the circus known as Iraq Veterans Against the War, uh, ran for Congress as a Republican, but don't tell anybody. I was a lifetime member of the LP at the time, but I did that to get Ron Paul's uh, endorsement and, and support running the Republican primary. And man, I got to say, I learned the hard way. Uh, and I feel really dumb saying this, but uh, the Republican establishment is not trustworthy. I know, shocking, right? I didn't get what to figure that out before running for office as a Republican, but uh, I also ran for the Libertarian Party nomination for president this last cycle. Was happy to support uh, the woman who won the nomination, Joe Jorgensen, as a very principled libertarian, 
But my platform was fundamentally different. Uh, I like to say I'm not like these other psychopaths running for president, trying to wear the ring of power. Our platform was take the ring, throw it directly into the fire. Uh, not, not my wedding ring, but, you know, the, the, the ring. And uh, take the federal government through a peaceful, orderly, responsible bankruptcy process and return as much of what has been stolen from us back to the American people directly. But uh, leave us with 50 independent states, up to 562 sovereign native nations, and the chance to take back what is uh, what, what is always currently uh, constantly being stolen from us by being forced into this political conglomerate that obviously doesn't represent the majority of Americans. So well, I know I, you want to debate. If you want to give me a premise, man, let's let's do this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I want to I want to get into uh, several things that you just said, but. Uh, I, I am I am relieved, you know, that I, I hope your uh, your wife isn't watching this to see you take off the wedding ring and, 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 no, talk about and throw it into a fire. Uh, you know, this this could have been a surprisingly dramatic discussion. No, uh, no, no, don't worry. I, she she knows I use our wedding or my wedding ring as, as a prop. But I, one other thing I should say, I'm in sure. I'm in my uh, my field work clothes today. My hair is a little. I probably got some like tree crumbs in here. Uh, I've been out working on the chainsaw. I'm I'm a homesteader. We are building our dream homestead from scratch here on 10 acres in the mountains in Arizona. Well, well uh, Daniel Bestner routinely comes on this, this channel looking like he just rolled out of bed. So you, you <laughs> definitely look more together than that. Uh, but I want to, um, you know, obviously I like the, uh, I like the anti-war activism part of what you, uh, what you just described, uh, get off the, uh, get off the boat on a, uh, on a lot of the rest of it. So let's, uh, uh, so let's let's talk a little bit about the uh, the rest of it. You know, when you when you talk about your your What's president, your problem with chainsaws, Ben. Seriously, dude, uh, what really? You have a problem with chainsaws? Watch, watch too many horror movies, I guess. Uh, but um, well, here here's one. I, I mangled my finger yesterday. Gross. I'll wow. stop. <laughs> that was that was good enough of a glimpse. <laughs> all right. Uh, so now you can hate chainsaws. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. Uh, so on. Um, you know, when you talk about the uh, you know your your presidential platform, you know you you, you say you want to uh, well, you talk about declaring bankruptcy. So so you so you want to dissolve the federal government. You don't want it to exist. Yeah, right? uh, bankruptcy is is like a mechanism that people are familiar with that would really kind of guide the process. The federal government, by any responsible financial analysis, has been bankrupt for a long time. You know, and it, it only survives because it has the ability to tax. And as the Supreme Court has said, the power to tax is the power to destroy. And as libertarians would point out, taxation is theft. But I would say maybe more precisely that it's coercive taxation, right? If you choose to be a part of a system, you, you volunteer to be a part of it, then uh, you know it's, uh, there's no coercion. There's no ethical violation. Yeah, but so, when, so I wanna... when your right to, to, to be independent as a community is denied, to, to secede, to say, my community doesn't want to be a part of your bigger collective. We want to be represented by our own values and have our own system. Then, then you're being forced into a system that doesn't represent you. So, so we're talking about seceding. Like, uh, I mean, just to be clear here, like, would state governments still exist? Yeah, as, as as a part of the transition. I mean, my ultimate goal as a as a libertarian is a, a universal nonviolent or universally nonviolent society where the non-aggression principle is respected and in terms of how we get there, and, and this is a matter of strategy, I, I don't hold this as absolute as my commitment to the ethics of this message, but uh -huh. decentralization, 
is an absolutely critical part of achieving this, getting government down to the community level, because a community is something that you choose to be a part of. And communities should have the right to be autonomous or to live in collectives or to have, uh, you know, associations or, you know, uh, you know, global networks, whatever it is. But nobody should be forced into a system that they don't want to be a part of. I mean, certainly the the history of decentralization uh, in in the U.S. is is not a good one, right? Like the uh, the attempt to, uh, you know, the the actual attempt the by war, the war of northern aggression, right? Yeah, no. Well, I, I you know I think this is happening in a much more conscientious way right now, and the actual I I actually just uh, accepted a nomination to the board of directors, technically the CalEx at Congress for how the movement for California independence, which certainly thrived under President Trump. And, you know, California, I, I'm, I'm from California originally, born and raised Bay Area, went to college in Claremont uh, near LA. And I, I, I see that there's a, a unique opportunity there where if California says, you know what, we're gonna do this legally, we're gonna do it peacefully with a commitment to nonviolence. Uh, and, and we're gonna say that we, we are declaring our independence. I don't think it has to be like the Revolutionary War again. It doesn't have to be like the Civil War where there's a, a violent premise of slavery. It's simply we want to peacefully create our own system. We want to peacefully secede from the Union. I think uh, the Texas independence movement is gaining momentum already under President Biden. But that there is a, a chance to say re, reframe the whole paradigm of government globally with uh, localization and decentralization of government and, and respect for community autonomy that is, you know, if California secedes, it could be the, the, the first domino in a major chain reaction that takes us to a whole other peaceful decentralized society. Okay, so, but I mean, even after uh, the, um, you know, even after the civil war, uh, the, you know, I mean, the history of, uh, of assertions of state states' rights, uh, in the United States is uh, is very bad, right? I'm, I'm I'm fairly sure that there would you know that if not for the federal government intervening with the Civil Rights Act, uh, there would still be places in the United States where you'd see like whites only signs and in, uh, in restaurants. Sure, sure. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't try to argue history and say that this is like you know has always been a perfect technique or or resulted in in nothing but but good. But you know this is how America got here. And I would say this is why the drug war is ending right now is because states said to the federal government, no, weed's legal here and we're not even we're not going to help you enforce. In some places, you know, we're going to we're not even going to cooperate. We're going to resist this federal policy. And, and you know, they're going to be it, it's sort of like freedom itself has, you know, good and bad elements to it. It's it, giving people that choice is giving people the, the right to make mistakes as well. And there are a lot of things that, uh, you know, people are going to screw up in freedom. But if you really believe in human progress, you have to allow there to be experimentation. And when well, you so, so I'm, I'm kind of curious about the link between freedom and, uh, and decentralization, because, uh, I mean, I can certainly see in the, uh, you know, in, in the drug war example, if the, if the thing that's being resisted, you know, is is itself a bad and authoritarian thing then you know then resisting it you know increases human freedom but right i would certainly think uh that uh that the that in those other examples you know the the federal government uh you know stepping in to emancipate the slaves to end uh to end jim crow in the south 
that those are cases of massive increases in human freedom uh, that that are enabled by centralization, and uh, we might yeah, so, some, some of those. I would, you know, I'm sure we would disagree on this. I would also argue that a lot of other things uh, that are, you know, that are federal, uh, you know, federal policies to enforce labor rights, etc., are also increases in human freedom. But I notice even at the beginning of that list, when I started with with what I thought was the most uncontroversial example, which was the emancipation of the slaves, you already started doing this. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Two big problems with that. Two big problems with that. One, the United States is the only country in the world that needed a civil war to end slavery. And for the amount that Lincoln paid for the war, he could have bought and freed all of the slaves. So it really wasn't about that. They could have let the South go and still by economic leverage freed all of the slaves and ended slavery without firing a single shot. Well, there probably would have been a few shots fired in some disputes around all of this, but it, w without the massive death and waste and destruction that, 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 was, that went along with the Civil War. And this is the problem with, with turning to violent, coercive, centralized co you know, solutions. This is the, the libertarianism is not left or right. It transcends the left-right paradigm, which describes different flavors of statism. Left and right yeah. both want to use the coercive government, a, a central plan to force it on other people. Libertarianism says, no, you, you can't use force or coercion against okay. people so, so who have to respect human rights. So let's talk about this. Uh, I mean, first of all, I'm, I'm, I think you just said that the U.S. was the only country that uh, that that had to go to war to end slavery. Uh, that's certainly not true. I mean, in this there might be some other qualifier to that, but certainly it was historically unique, and it might be oh, the no, only I mean, Western I mean, nation I mean, or major more modern nation. But Haiti, Haiti was founded by an extremely bloody, you know, slave revolt. Uh, you know that's that's how slavery you know slavery was ended there. Sure. Uh, I, I would I would argue that the reason that you know that the uh, the British Empire, for example, could abolish slavery uh, peacefully uh, and uh, and it couldn't be in the U.S. wasn't because you know like Lincoln you know was 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 specially bloodthirsty. Uh, it was uh, it was because the the planter class of the South was incredibly politically powerful in ways that the, uh, that the that slave owners within certain colonies of the British Empire were not relative to the British Empire as uh, as a whole. And I think that there's, uh, in particular, I think that in the U.S. Uh, the U.S. case, um, you know, the reason that we know that there was no you know gradual slow path that would have uh, would have led to uh, to the end of slavery. In, uh, in the United States is that Lincoln was elected precisely to engage in that gradual slow path to the end of slavery. He wasn't a radical abolitionist. He was a representative of the relatively moderate wing of the anti-slavery uh, anti right. movement. He wanted, to, horrifically racist. he wanted to stop the expansion of slavery and gradually economically squeeze it out. And that was enough to freak out the slaveholders enough to start an armed revolution against the United States government. So I, I think this idea that some level of manu you know, voluntary manumission would have been enough to get people to give up the institution that they saw as the foundation of their way of life, I'm super skeptical of, but even moving it in... bought out. Just look at the numbers. I mean, the, this analysis yeah, is... The question is whether they would have, they would have accepted that. Uh, you know, there was, like, like whether 
uh, whether the slaveholders, you know, would have been willing to buy, you know, to just sell their slaves and go into non-slaveholding businesses, or whether they thought slavery was the entire foundation of their way of life and their conception, you know, of white civilization and something that they absolutely were not willing uh, to uh, to part with. And, and again, I think that if they'd been willing to make that deal, they would have offered that deal instead of starting a uh, starting an armed revolution against the U.S. government. But moving but you, in- I mean, you can argue every angle on this into the Civil War as an historical example. It's it's a huge phenomenon that's that's open to a lot of interpretation. You can make a lot of different points and observations from it. But what we see is the future of of you know what what is an ethical world? What do we want to see? Do we want anybody enslaved even to the slightest degree by being forced into a system that doesn't represent them? I say no. And I don't okay, think well, that this, well, this well, that's, example that justifies that you don't want people enslaved to even even the slightest degree. Right. I think I think is I think is a useful starting point, you know, for the disagreement because what is it, right, that would that we would count as uh, as enslaving people uh, to even uh, to uh, to even the slightest degree. So, I mean, I think uh, that the you know putting the 19th century aside, you know, getting into uh, getting into this century, uh, I, I think a really you know striking example maybe of this difference is thinking about uh, the end of uh, the end of Jim Crow and uh, and the imposition of uh, of civil rights because I know uh, Ron Paul. Uh, you know, who who you mentioned earlier. I don't know if he has spoken to this himself. I know his son, Rand Paul, very famously, uh, while he was running for Senate, uh, he was on the uh, the, uh, the Rachel Maddow show, and uh, and Rachel asked him about the Civil Rights Act, and he said that he opposed it because it, uh, uh, because it involved the government telling private business owners what to do. So, so the question is, if we're interested in meaningful human freedom, we don't want anything that we would even see as a shadow of slavery, as even a certain degree of enslavement. Is meaningful human freedom, should that primarily be understood in terms of the freedom of business owners to do whatever they want with the people under their power, like, you know, mm-hmm. spiders in a jar, or yeah. should that be understood in terms of the ability of ordinary people in practice to live their lives the way they want, which was considerably hindered by black people in the South having to navigate through this system that discriminated against them and, and deprived them of various life outcomes in all sorts of ways. And you could say lots of that was done in a decentralized way, by the way, uh, by governments, but a lot of it was done by the private sector. You know, those, 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 those whites only signs and uh, you know, in restaurant windows, you know, were put there, you know, by, by private business owners, and you know what Rand Paul was objecting to in that instance was the government interfering with the you know the freedom of those uh, those business owners to uh, to put them there. So I mean, do you uh, do you agree with him? Because if so, I think that that's that's like a a sign of a really deep disagreement about how to think about freedom. Yeah, well, let me let me put it a different way. Like I'm I'm for brushing your teeth. You know, I'm, I'm, but I'm not like Vermin Supreme asking for mandatory toothbrush laws, right? You know, I, I and if you say, well, I'm against mandatory toothbrush laws, that doesn't mean you're against brushing your teeth. It's that you don't want the government to address so, it. So you're, so you're in favor of, uh, so you're in favor of integration, but you know, absolutely. You, you, but you, I'm, you're, I'm not. You're, in, you're against legally mandating that, which I, I'd say that just the distinction that I would see between that well, and no, 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 is, is that. 
is, is that whether I brush my teeth or not, right, only impacts uh, me. It might impact people who, who choose to get within like an interest. Well, come on, the liberal argument would be you're dragging down the whole healthcare system with your irresponsible habits. No, but so th th let me make a little little linguistic. Not, 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 my, not, not you know, not my position, uh, but they have a <laughs> but. Uh, but whether you brush your teeth or not primarily impacts you. Sure. Whether, well, 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 uh, ha is going to have to go another hundred miles because they haven't gotten to a hotel yet that uh, that doesn't uh, that doesn't have a whites only sign right. is something is something that impacts those the people who are the victims of that in ways that everybody else is not impacted if you choose not to brush your own teeth. Yeah. So here's the here, I want to make one little important language distinction. You said legally required, and that's that's a that's a term that's somewhat open to interpretation and it's not exactly my position which is that okay. if you're an asshole and you're discriminatory it's still not the best way to address that bigotry with violence against that person so it's not is it you know legally this or that it's how is that enforced what is the society's response to someone being a bigot to being an asshole and the argument that you make that well it doesn't affect you or other people that's that's not the line that I draw. The line is, do you have a right to do something? You know, can, is yeah. it okay to force somebody to even associate with someone? Like, I, I have a right to, you know, break up with my girlfriend. Well, I don't have a girlfriend in the mirror. I shouldn't say that again. Uh, right? No, <laughs> but, you're no, if, if, if I wasn't married. Your marriage in this discussion. <laughs> yes, okay. Uh, I'll stop. I'll, I promise. I'll stop. No, but there's, uh, if, if I, you know, if I break up with a, a romantic partner, that affects someone else a lot. That doesn't mean I don't have a right to disassociate. And this gets back to the central issue that libertarians bring to every argument in politics, which is, is it ethical or not? Are you forcing someone to do something against their will? That's the ethical line that we bring to the conversation. And you know, one of my favorite quotes about libertarianism comes from Larry Sharp. And he says, you can be as liberal or conservative as you want, as long as you don't force it on anybody. Now, if you want to make, if, if, if you don't mind me taking a minute to go to an extreme example here, when I was uh, running on the, the decentralization platform, by the way, I'm half Jewish and half German. So I'm like genetically programmed to hate myself. Mm. So you're like, I can, I, it gives me a lot of cover to say a lot of offensive things, right? But no, I, 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 I being literally, you know, of, of actual Jewish heritage where my grandparents had to leave Europe because of World War II, uh, I, I see the, 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 fringe white nationalism becoming less fringe and it's viscerally disturbing to me but i would still say i don't want those people forced into a system with me i don't want them to have a vote that affects me if they want to create their own little commune by their own you know racist standards but they don't force it on anybody they they get private property they buy land they start their own yeah, you know, so, so let's, 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 let's talk about the, the, the private property aspect. Hold on, hold on, let me, let me, um, let me just finish this yeah, yeah. one. I'll flip it real quick and wrap okay. it up. So, okay. That's, yeah. by the way, that's my studio lighting giving me my 30 minute warning. Uh, <laughs> this is, uh, so it, it, on the flip side of this, if you are a gun grabbing socialist who wants to live in a nudist commune in the woods, I'm not going to live there either, but I want you to have that right. I'll take my entertainment from a distance on that count. But you you should have the right in your community to organize how you want. And this is the everybody gets what they want strategy because when it's really respected, 
there's there's nobody being forced into a system against their will, whether it's slavery or communism or socialism. Let's rewind back to think about private property because I think you said two things that I don't think are the same, right? You know, you, you talked about how it's not just a matter of uh, of how you, you know, whether you, you know, your decisions have an effect, uh, you know, on uh, on other people or not, because, you know, because nobody should legally force you to stay together with a romantic partner, even though that impacts them. I think that the way that that impacts them is pretty different, but I am going to wait. Well, sorry. I had a my my dog opened the door. I had to close it behind him. Okay, no problem. Uh, so uh, mine does that all the time. So we uh, so you of course it is uh, cute dog. So it is true uh, that uh, that there are things that impact other people that you know that you should nevertheless uh, you know nevertheless uh, be uh, be allowed to do. But I, I want to. Uh, I mean, I do think that how much and in what ways, uh, you know, your decisions impact other people has a big impact on, uh, on, on like whether freedom is just a question of letting you do whatever you want or whether freedom might be, uh, might be better served by stopping you from doing things that restrict the life choices in practice of other people. But you talked about private property and you talked about violence and uh, because we were in the context of talking about, in, you know, of talking about integration, uh, I, I think that this is this is another good way to get at that question. Uh, because when I think about violence in the context of the civil rights movement, uh, of course, one of the things that you know that that immediately springs to mind is imagery of like um, you know southern sheriffs and those local communities uh, you know turning you know turning turning fire hoses on uh, on civil rights protesters but it's a it's worth remembering that this which i would certainly think of as violence was often being done uh, for the sake of defending private property rights if uh, if there's a civil rights sit in at a segregated lunch counter uh, then uh, then the sheriff coming in to turn the fire hoses on the on the uh, sit-in protesters is defending private property uh, private property rights and I think this this gets down to maybe the biggest reason why it doesn't make sense to me uh, to um, you know to think of freedom, in terms of uh, in terms of, of private property rights and and you know the ability of property owners to you know to associate with who they want and let you know who they want you know use you know use their property or not uh, so you know one one reason is that again I think in practice uh, that that allows small regimes of tyranny. Uh, you know, like, uh, you know, like, like an abusive boss, you know, in a workplace where nobody is technically being forced to work there, uh, but they don't have a lot of other economic options, you know, free reign, which I think is actually bad for human freedom. The same way I think letting, you know, letting business owners segregate is bad for human freedom. But the issue, to the extent that it's about property, well, Nobody, you know, you keep talking about violence, you know, you want to, you know, you want to, to do things non-violently, you don't want to do the violent ones, uh, but I don't think that you're a pacifist. I think that you think that violence is justified uh, as long as it's not aggressive violence. Uh, you know, so so if, if you're defending that homestead that, you know, that you injured yourself building earlier, uh, you know, that, then that's okay, right? You know, because, because that's defensive violence. Uh, and and if that's right, 
then I think this is all a little bit beside the point, you know, for uh, for talking about uh, about property rights because we agree that there's some um, that. Uh, we agree that there are property arrangements that should be defended sometimes if necessary, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, with, with, with violence, um, you know, presumably in, uh, in the, the final state, I know the decentralization is only a step along the way, presumably in the final state, uh, you know, you're not calling in the local sheriff to defend your property rights. You're calling in like a private security agency or something. It wouldn't even be necessary. Okay. Well, I mean, sure. I mean, we can, we can, we can always play that game, you know, for like, you know, we can, we can do the, you know, I can do the socialist version of that. I can talk about how, you know, uh, some sure. social problem just wouldn't come up anymore because it would have ceased to exist, you know, but hey, if, every good ideologue better it, have that somewhere. If, if adds, utopia. But, yeah. But I think it's a little bit of uh, of an unhelpful cheat code. I think, I, I think you should be prepared for the possibility that the problem will still We'll, you know, will will still come up, and this is the point, though, right? This is the point that if that if we agree that there are property arrangements that you know that should be uh, that should be enforced if necessary, you know, if necessary with violence, then we're not really disagreeing about violence and nonviolence. We're disagreeing about which property arrangements it's uh, it's it's just uh, it's just to enforce. And I think that redistributive taxation or, you know, nationalizing things so they can serve the public good, that those things are justifiable enforcement of what the just property arrangements are. You think that just letting people have whatever they get as a result of some free market process and then enforcing that against pesky uh, civil rights protesters or, you know, workers doing sit-in strikes like in the 1930s is justified. But it's not violence versus nonviolence. It's which property claims should be enforced. So the liber first of all, uh, the libertarian concept of ethics is based on the property claim of self-ownership, that you own yourself, that no one has a right to claim ownership over you or to use coercion against you because that would be a violation of your self-ownership of your person, the fact that you're an independent consciousness in your own body. So mm -hmm. I'm making the moral argument for freedom that because you own yourself as a human being, this suggests an ethical system freedom is defined as what you have when no one is forcing their will on you. Forcing their will on you is a an ethical violation because it violates your self-ownership. Your basic human right to own yourself is not respected if someone is using coercion over you. What you're making essentially as a, as a counter to my moral argument, the ethical argument based on that premise that you own yourself as a free beautiful independent human being is that the ends justify the means that we can do unethical nope. things we can make coercion nope. happen if it's done in the name of government if it has Not better right. outcomes because you're suggesting a different property value or different as you would say property framework that denies an individual that self-ownership nope. but you also made a consequence hold on hold on you also made a consequence okay, argument, that argument. you made you made a huge consequentialist argument here about about the, the you I'm are, saying well, well, let me let me address no, you did hold on in the let me let me respond because you did this in the sense of saying that there you have to consider how your actions affect other people so let me ask you a quick question ben how many veterans does it take to screw in a light bulb how many you wouldn't know you weren't there man all right so now that i got that out of the way you knew i was going to play the veterans card at some point here let me do it fully give me the chance i'm going to connect it to this because your ends justify the means arguments that doesn't my respect argument 
It's this not about the but No, but you're, you're that. Let me finish. You're advocating for this system where you want to call it a property framework that allows you to violate that self-ownership ethics system. Here's the consequence. Here's the consequence. Because what you were saying is that an authority can tell someone in a local area what they can and cannot do based on an external standard. What do you think the premise of the whole global war on terror is? This is the whole thing, though. The, the concept of militarism that that an uh, that, that an authority can use violence against peaceful people based on some alternative property framework to the ones that are the to the one that is the foundation of libertarianism has huge consequences. Because if you give into that idea, if you give into that idea that you can violate individual self-ownership, things that I think I think we should we should get into here. I want to start at the end. Uh, that uh, that saying that you should have some sort of ethical view other than the non-aggression principle uh, is the basis of the war on terror. Sure, that's true, but in the same sort of uninteresting way that I say, oh, Adam, uh, you realize that the whole basis of uh, of the Confederate cause in the Civil War was a defense of private property rights, where, you know, so... Uh, no, so that, it was a defense of illegitimate property. property. No, it's a, no, 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 no. You want to talk about an illegitimate property framework, slavery, slavery is an illegitimate property framework. I understand that you think those are illegitimate property rights, but I'm saying that you said, oh, look, you're talking about some sort of external authority enforcing something other than libertarian values. The war on terror is some sort of external authority enforcing some sort of non-libertarian values. Therefore, it's kind of the same thing. I could just as easily say, hey, libertarians are talking about property rights. Slaveholders are talking about property rights. Therefore, it's the same thing. It's not at all the same thing. Hey, you're, hey, but you're, you're, ta so you're talking about property rights. So you're talking about alternative property frameworks. Libertarians are the only ones that say... It's based on you own yourself. Yes. Slaveholders said we can use coercion yes. against our slaves Adam, because Adam, we own Adam, them. Adam, you are saying Adam, governments can that. use coercion against their slaves. the point that they have, you're right, your libertarian conception of property rights is different from the slaveholders' conception of property rights, but I'm saying the same way it would be silly to conflate those, it's silly to conflate socialism and the war on terror on the basis that they're both no, not, not libertarian. Communism, communism. We, have a, we live in a communist so, country. We live in, Ben, we live in a communist country. You know that, right? You live in America? Uh, I don't know that, and neither do you, because knowledge implies truth, and that's not true. But I want to go how back to planks, the Hold on. How many, planks, how many planks of the Communist Manifesto are in effect by the federal government right now? You know? <laughs> uh, well, you want me to look it up? What do, you, what do you mean by the planks the of the Communist Manifesto? Are the things one by like Marx. Education, which is kind of fun, because that's how we started the episode. But in, uh, uh, But those are immediate demands Marx and Engels didn't think that having public education and a progressive income tax and all of those things were communism. Uh, those were immediate reform demands right now. Communism is the maximum program. Those are the minimum program. Uh, you could equally well say, to go back to the subject that we keep touching on, that, look, Karl Marx was a passionate advocate of the abolition of slavery. Uh, so hey, we're a communist country because we fulfilled his demand to abolish slavery. It's silly. No, uh, because we have the majority. Of, I want to go back to the whole thing about consequentialism, though, because, because, because I think, because I think, that, when, that, I think you know, as a, you know, as a philosophy nerd, uh, this is something that I can't let go, this thing about consequentialism. Uh, it's not the argument that I'm making, one, uh, I don't want this to get lost, 
has absolutely nothing to do with uh, with uh, with self ownership. It's about ownership of external property. Those are two very different things. Two, it's uh, it's not a consequentialist argument. It's so consequentialism says that they, that uh, actions are morally right or wrong to the extent and only to the extent uh, that they bring about good consequences. So if you push the fat man onto the trolley track, you know, to stop the runaway trolley and say that's okay if it saves five people. Uh, Nobody's talking about consequentialism here. Uh, instead, I'm saying that given this deontological non-aggression principle that you're talking about, well, you violate the non-aggression principle if you aggress against other people and their property. But the problem is with that and their property, what does that mean? Well, it can't mean their legal property or else taxation can't be theft because legally a certain amount of uh, the IRS is entitled to a certain amount of your income. It can't even mean the property that you happen to have right now because then uh, recovery of stolen property would be illegitimate. What it means is the property that you're morally entitled to have. That's the only thing that it can mean. And right. my point is not a consequentialist point. Uh, it's, you know, I mean, look, if you want to know what I think the ethical basis of this would be John Rawls theory of justice, which is a non-consequentialist theory. It's not a consequentialist point. It's a point that somebody who supports redistributive taxation, maybe even supports nationalization of some companies, can completely agree with this principle. We're just disagreed about what kind of property people are morally entitled to and, and say that people are morally entitled to control their own bodies, uh, you know, which, which, you know, which certainly, right, uh, but is very different from saying that people are morally entitled to control any, any particular given piece of property in the external world. You can have all the self-ownership that you want and all your work is still ahead of you as far as finding a theory of why people are entitled to some particular piece of property in the external world. I know a standard libertarian argument uh, is that, well, you know, there are different versions of it. If you're the first person to see somebody, something, or you're the first person to use it, or if there's some chain of market transactions leading back to the first person to see it or the first person to use it or the first person to, to say dibs or whatever it is, then you're entitled to that. But I think that's no. a pretty silly theory of just distribution of property. Yeah, no, I think a much better theory silly. of just distribution yeah, of property is, well, be... oh, 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 give me, give me, give me like, you know, we could we could do the Oscars wrap it up thing and I'll, I'll hurry through it. But let me just finish the thought. I think a much better theory of just distribution of property is imagine, this is Rawls's veil of ignorance, imagine that you know that you're going to have to live in the society that you constructed, but you don't know who you're going to be. Uh, do you want, uh, you know, do you want a system where uh, some people inherit massive wealth and some people are born into poverty, uh, you know, or uh, or do you want uh, some sort of economic distribution that gives everybody decent life, out life, you know, chances, decent life outcomes, uh, that gives people a certain amount of autonomy during the eight hours of every day that most people have to spend uh, at work? And I think that's a much more plausible uh, the deontological view about what distribution of goods is just and saying that our disagreement about whether keep whatever you get in a series of market interactions versus we should have other values that come into play uh, like compassion and giving people meaningful autonomy and practice 
uh, and all of these things, that disagreement has absolutely nothing to do with self-ownership. We're talking about ownership of objects in the external world. So first of all, a couple of rhetorical things, and maybe you just want to forget this point, but you literally said uh, you have to consider how your actions affect other people. That's yes. pretty consequentialist. It's not consequentialist. All right, all right, hold on. Let me just there's nothing consequential. Second, second, say, say, say that say that whether something is is something that you should have total autonomy and control over or not. That part of that is decided by how how whether this is a sphere that only impacts you or also impacts other people. That if I am not brushing my teeth in the privacy of my own home, that doesn't impact other people. If I'm if I own a factory and I put pollutants into the air, that does impact other people. Uh, if I own a, own a huge business and pay people poverty mm -hmm. wages, that impacts other people. And sure, there are going to be cases where things you know, impact other people, but who cut too much into people's legitimate sphere of autonomy to regulate it, like uh, your example about relationships, yeah, no doubt. But say that isn't to say that justice is just about good and bad consequences. It's to say that other people should have a legitimate say in some things that affect them in ways that are much more important than other things. But that's, you know, you could say that there are certain things that you're just not allowed to do to other people. That's a totally non-consequentialist argument. All right. So, I mean, it's, it's your show, man. If you want to pick apart every little smarmy comment and deconstruct it, you can, but it's going to get pretty right, boring. Thank you. I appreciate that, so, Adam. That's, 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 second, that's very generous of you. Second, second rhetorical point here. Okay, is sure. You said it's I can't wait to get to the, get back to the substantive <laughs> points, but let's do the second rhetorical point. No, you said you said that it was a, a silly libertarian argument about property rights, and you listed some examples. Those were really straw man arguments. Okay, so the libertarian, right. not straw man one. So the libertarian argument uh, or, or, or foundation of property rights would be as as you know in this conversation, uh, and, and this might actually get to a more meaningful philosophical distinction here. I mean, if you really want to get to the heart, the foundation of our our disagreement on premises here. So the, the two things would be one, the Lockean concept of property rights, of the, that you own the product of your labor, you mix your labor with natural resources, you have a claim to it. And the second element of this is social consent to property. Property outside of your, your individual person, uh, and even to some extent you could, you could argue within that, is a matter of social consent. So for example, like this is something I've experienced with, with the experience of, of homesteading. You know, I bought 10 acres. And I know that I can put up a fence around 10 acres and that for what I want to do with it, this is a reasonable amount of land that I can claim that I'm going to use to raise a family, to, to have a business, to do some, you know, small scale agricultural stuff. But and if I put up a fence around it, you know, I'm not going to shoot somebody just for wandering across my fence by accident. But I am going to say that this is my legitimate human right to claim a piece of the earth for my own use. And, and, and but the, what constitutes that is a matter of social consent, because I can't put up a fence around a million acres and say, well, because I put up a fence around it, it's fine. No, that's what government does, right? You know, there has to be a social standard of what's an acceptable amount of your labor mixed with something that gives you a legitimate claim to it. Awesome. That well, is, if, that is, well if, if you go with the first standard, the... Uh, you know, the, the lock-in uh, labor mixing standard, which, you know, I, I've got to say, I have a very hard time 
take it seriously. It always reminds me of the thing that like little boys do where they, uh, they spit on something and say, it's mine now. Uh, <laughs> well, see, but, that's where social consent, then we're really in business uh, because, uh, cause if it's a matter of, of, of social consent, so, so, so what are we talking about here? Majority vote, uh, everybody gets a veto. What's the standard? Market standard. What, what consent, what people are willing to respect, what people will, uh, acknowledge that you have a legitimate claim to, and uh, oh, well, you know, well, if it's one they're willing to respect, then um, and certainly if if it's if it's what a uh, a majority is is willing or unwilling to respect, uh, then I think the social consent standard is not going to get you the kind of robust deontological libertarianism that you want. Uh, it's uh, it's going to uh, it's going to get you in any situation uh, where a uh, a majority of of the public. Uh, you know, doesn't uh, you know doesn't support the uh, the right of individuals to own businesses. You know, it's it's going to be in the doing away of that right. I mean, that can't possibly be. Well, well let me put. Let, let's go back. Sure, Ben. Let's go back to the the practical application of this and what I'm proposing and in, in decentralization of government. If you have two communities, you have community A and community B, and they're next to each other, and community A conquers community B by force and imposes a government on them. And now you have one community C that's A and B combined. Do the residents of, of, of that area that was community B, do they have a right to secede or, or is it okay for the new government to force them to be a part of the collective? Uh, so the question is, do I, do I believe in the right of, uh, of, of like different regions or, or cities or states to secede from larger units of government? Right. I just want to get clear on that. I don't think that there's any sort of absolute or general right to do that. I think that sometimes if they have a really good cause, uh, that might be, uh, that might be justified. But if, uh, but if there's this, you know, but uh, you know, there is such a thing as a just revolution. Uh, but if there, uh, if, if you're talking about something like the example that we, uh, that we started with, uh, the uh, the you know the southern states uh, starting an armed revolution uh, in order to preserve the institution of slavery then hell no they don't have a right to uh, to secede I think that the victory of the Union Army and when uh, the Civil War was probably the greatest single expansion of uh, for, uh, for human freedom and human dignity in all of history. So what gives you the right to do that? At what point do the ends justify the means? Well, no, 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 no. Nobody said anything about the ends justify yeah, the Yeah, you are. You're saying that a nope. war is justified by what you got as abolition of slavery. And what you're saying is in the present case, as I'm posing this question, that the new government of, of this combined political body, government of, of Community C, has a right to force their view of what government should be on community B if they have some justification for it by their standard of ethics, that they can force that, they can violate the autonomy. Well, I mean, this, 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 the, the sub, the sub justification by their standards of ethics is the whole question, right? That, you know, that if you think uh, that, um, I understand, you know, you're not gonna shoot somebody, you know, just for, uh, just for wandering, uh, wandering into your homestead, uh, but if you don't have some sort of enforcement at some point, property rights are pretty meaningless. Uh, you know, if you can have that civil rights sit in at the uh, at the the lunch counter you own, and uh, and there's just nothing to be done about that, no way of kicking those people out. You know, uh, with uh, you know, you know, if they don't if they don't okay, agree so to leave so of, so of, 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 of their own accord, then 
that property right is pretty meaningless. So if you're saying you're violently enforcing that property right, you know, proportional violence, et cetera, et cetera, but you're violently enforcing that property right, you know, if somebody uh, if somebody steals your TV, if uh, in you know in libertarian utopia, uh, you know whatever it is, private security agency, decentralized government thing, whatever, can forcibly take it back, then you are using force because of your standard of ethics. What we're arguing about is what's the right standard of ethics. Okay, so then in another practical application, two, two examples here. On our land here, we plan on seceding and declaring our independence as a micronation on July 4th of this year. And California is on their way to having a referendum, although it is still a bit of a process ahead of them, to declare their independence from the federal government of the United I'm not States. Worried about that. Would you say that either of us has the right to do that or that the federal government has the right to force us to be a part of their system? And why? <laughs> uh, no. What gives, I think the right? what gives them the right? Okay, well, I mean, what uh, what gives you the right to secede? I think is the uh, is the better question, and they have a and it can't be um, it uh, and presumably uh, the uh, that's you know like if you're talking about like you know like the southern states you know like starting a shooting war against the U.S. government, uh, you know we're talking about the use of violence, and you know that's something that should uh, that should should meet a heavy ethical burden. No, no, no. In, in both of these cases, we're talking about peaceful secession. California is committed to the, the Yes California effort. We're committed to nonviolence. Same okay. thing here in, in the well, Garden of Freedom. I think I think, the, I think that the I think that I think that I think that okay. First of all, I think there's a zero point zero 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 chance that uh, that California would secede from uh, for the Union. Uh, maybe I'll be proven wrong about that. Maybe you can come back on the show in a year or two and and say, "Man, you were so wrong about that." But I, I will, I will stake my claim. So I've got the clip; it's out there. You, you know, like like if I'm wrong, it'll about be more that, than a couple of years before it'll be can, a couple can, election cycles before okay. we get to. Okay, okay. What, what, what do you think? 2024, 2028. You you want to lay lay a stake a, a bet here? I I would well uh, let me I make I make it a little more cautious. I mean, it's 2021. I would say by 2030 you will see some major significant movement manifest in at least a referendum on independence for California. But by what, what did you, did you say a year? I missed it. By 2030, it's going to be, it might be nine years. It'll be like episode 3000 or something, but we'll, we'll, we'll January, 2031. We'll, uh, you'll, you'll come back. Uh, and, uh, and, and we can, uh, and we can revisit that. Sure. Uh, and so I, I think that, you know, that concretely, uh, you know, if we, uh, you know, if we have some some taxes in place to, um, you know, to give, you know, to uh, to pay for, you know, for healthcare and education and uh, environmental enforcement, you know, so uh, so people don't die of, you know, easily treatable diseases, etc. Uh, then uh, and you in in Freetopia, like I think if you do that, uh, Gardenia. What's up? Gardenia. Garden Gardenia. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The Gardenia. Garden of Freedom. Gardenia a, for sure. Okay. So if I think the Gardenia think Declaration of Independence, my prediction is no one will notice it first. But then if, uh, uh, but uh, but then uh, you know if there is a uh, you know a tax to uh, to pay for one of these things, which I would see as absolutely fundamental uh, human rights that everybody should have. 
and uh, and you say uh, that uh, that as uh, as the free uh, free state of Gardenia, you know, since you're a citizen of the free state of Gardenia, you know, you're not going to uh, you're not going to pay it. Uh, then, uh, then yes, I am in favor of uh, of that being uh, being enforced, uh, and uh, and you know you'd have to you know to be assessed for his penalties, etc. Uh, I am absolutely comfortable with that in the same way that you're comfortable with uh, with enforcing the property rights uh, that that you believe in. And so I think the question is not really about force or not force. I think the question is about what we're enforcing. Are we enforcing people keeping whatever they happen to end up with in a market process, tracing back to uh, either lock-in labor mixing or just whatever sort of claims their social consent for? Uh, if we're going to go with that second standard, by the way, uh, then I've got a whole list of things that I don't uh, I don't consent to that I'd, I'd like. I, I hope somebody is, is taking notes on this so they can uh, they can help me lodge my objection. Uh, I want to know what the uh, I want to know what the procedure is for figuring out social consent. I would suggest democratic elections, uh, you know. But uh, in any that, case, that's majority forcing its will in the minority. Why do you hate minority rights? That's so, insane. Um, so I, I, I'm very curious here if the uh, if the question. Um, so again, I think what we're arguing about is whether to enforce. Uh, the, uh, the the rights of people to have to, to keep whatever they end up with in a market process that allegedly traces back to one of these things or whether what we should enforce is things, is, is things like a right to health care, a right to education, a right to autonomy at the workplace. Uh, I don't think that the kinds of minority rights that we should be most concerned about uh, are, uh, are the rights of the, uh, the wealthy to keep every cent in their bank account. Uh, but we could keep going for a long time on this. I am a, I am uh, I'm joined um, uh, right now by uh, Jason Miles from uh, from the, uh, the This Is Revolution podcast. Uh, so I am uh, I'm going to uh, get to start talking to uh, to Jason. In real quick, uh, Adam, where are you from in the Bay? Because I'm from the Bay. Uh, originally San Mateo, but I, okay. I well, San, born San Francisco, raised around San Mateo. But I got, I got to tell you, Ben, I got some bad news that, that might blow your mind and your whole paradigm please, here. Please. We're already free here in Gardenia. We are. I live down three miles of private dirt road. I, you know, I've already pushed all the violent, coercive relationships out of my life, and I live, you know, peacefully. And and undisturbed, and and that's what this is about: is 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 getting those coercive, violent relationships out. And finally, I, you're not talking about the rights of people on property. You're talking about the right of emperors to impose their will. You sound like you're taking the side of King George and the Redcoats. Well, uh, the King George Redcoats analogy is interesting because the uh, the principle. Um, in the case of uh, the American Revolution, was no taxation without representation that we should have uh, that we should have democratic institutions decide uh, who pays what taxes, which is a little more than uh, that. Now, now, now their 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 conception of democracy was a little limited as far as the rights of black people and women, etc. Yeah, uh, right. But the idea that these things should be under democratic control is one that I support. So I agree. Uh, I agree with the American revolutionaries on that question. Uh, so I don't know who you're calling King George, uh, but, um, 
like Why the, um, the I, I, like the, I like the lighting up the stogie on the show. That's a uh, that's that's a good uh, uh, that's a good move. I think I think that's chill, chill, cannabis. Okay, all right, all right. It yeah. looked too. So we're like, we're like really, I know we're we're like at time. We got no. So I'm gonna let you have the last word on the debate. It's oh, your show, goodness. but you got to give me a sign off, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what? What do we? Uh, uh, I'll 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 give you like ten or fifteen words. Get the uh, let's let's get it. Uh, let's <laughs> well, go no, down. Ben. What what I want to say is this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate conversations like this and productions like this. And I give the shout out to Streamyard because we use Streamyard for Adam versus the Man. I love it, and I know that what you're doing isn't easy. And I respect you as a fellow activist and as an independent media producer. And I know that what we do requires an active and engaged audience for it to be possible. So regardless of whether you like me or not, if you're at the end of this production, you made I, it all the way. I like you. I like you just fine. I just think you're wrong. Uh, no, no, no. I mean, put, I'm talking to your audience. I'm telling them to give you more love, Ben. Don't interrupt. Okay. If you're listening to this and you like Ben, you like this show, put your money where your eyes and your ears are. Be an active and engaged consumer of media you know, promote voices that are honest, that are engaging for the right reasons. And I want to say that what Ben is doing with this production is still, compared to the mainstream media at least, elevating the conversation around politics, around issues that matter to us. And if you're listening at the end of this production, it's because it matters to you. So support the show. And if you want to support me, thefreedomline.com, get my book that I wrote, started writing when I was in jail for civil disobedience for free in every digital format possible. If you want to tune in, I'm live for two hours a day, Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 Pacific at AdamVersusTheMan.com. And again, Ben and Jason, thank you for this opportunity and to your audience for listening and everybody who supports this production and makes this possible. All right. Appreciate that, Adam. Peace and love, y'all. Peace. Hey, Ben, my bad. I didn't know he was going to go off like that. I just wanted to know where dude was from. That's all. I, I wasn't trying to. <laughs> I wasn't trying to prolong anything that happened. That's my bad. I wasn't trying to do. And when that happened, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, I had really. a feeling he was going to say he was from the peninsula. That's where uh, Tom Brady's from, actually. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. To Tom you, Brady uh, and I graduated the same year, 1995. Did you know him? No. He, the peninsula is like um, kind of Silicon Valley area. Okay, it's a very right, nice, uh, well-to-do area. Uh, Barry Bonds went to the same high school right, as Tom Brady. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah, do yes. you um, um, do you think he was going to win last night or uh, or or yes? You... Okay. And when Griscom comes on, <laughs> I want to look at him in the computer's eye because I told him that, and he gay tried to give me that whole uh, uh, Mahomes is the man shit, and I was like, I. Just, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. I, I kind of have a I kind of have a soft spot for. Um, you know, for Tom Brady, despite his unsavory, you know, personal associations. I mean, didn't he get a almost million dollar PPP loan? <laughs> did he? Yeah. <laughs> so wait, wait a second. How did he? How did that even work? Like, did he get it for the um, like TV his twelve shit or whatever? You know, those guys have a lot of different uh, companies, organizations that they, you know. A, you have to do. They used to have to do so much community outreach stuff, so the bigger guys would get. Uh, organizations to do some sort of you know community outreach and then you know Tom Brady again he comes from money it's not like he doesn't understand yeah. how to flip his his assets that from football 
Yeah. Yeah. No, fair enough. I, I, I think that the, um, I mean, I mean, the thing that I actually find like, uh, you know, most distasteful about Brady because I do, you know, I kind of enjoy watching him as an athlete and I have mm -hmm. a, and I think he's a, um, you know, I like, honestly, the whole deflate gate thing was such a, uh, was, was, was such a, you know, like there was so That's much trampling yeah. on labor rights and due process there that it kind of made me like him, uh, <laughs> even despite, you know, even despite the underlying, you know, things that, you know, um, that he may have been, uh, he may or may not have been doing there. But uh, the thing that I find most distasteful about him is, is, is just the like selling the junk medicine. That TB12. So also, <laughs> we were talking about this last night. Also, where he's from is where the Balco labs are. And okay. that, was, that was all going down kind of around the time. I don't think he was probably a part of it when he was winning Super Bowls early on yeah. because he was just so young when that was happening. We were both in our early 20s. Um, but I wouldn't doubt <laughs> if he's got connections to people that know people that know people because keep in mind, it was Barry Bonds' boy that yeah. went to jail, what, like two or three times and that guy's wife for keeping their mouth shut over, over his involvement. Barry Bonds' boy from growing up out there, so... I would yeah, fair, <laughs> fair enough. Um, so I'm actually, um, you know, curious. Uh, I know that, um, you know, we were, I mean, it's kind of funny that at the end of the discussion with Adam, you know, he, he was talking about, uh, you know, engaged consumers and supported shows and all that. And, you know, whatever, I'm certainly not going to argue with anybody who's, uh, who's telling people to be, you know, to join the Patreon or anything else like that. But, uh, there is also something interesting about that because the way that we talk about that makes it sound like this is just a uh, this is just a two way interaction that this is like uh, that there are people who are offering you know uh, well I mean I, I think it's more than that I'd, I'd like to think that we're engaged in you know political community here but you know but offering media products if you want to put it that way and and people who are uh, consuming them uh, but. Of course, that's not true uh, because uh, you know we're all just just tenants here, you know, of of our of our digital overlords. Uh, that it, this is not, you know, like this is not the um, the you know the farmers market, you know, for, uh, for no, no, they pull that plug on your ass real quick. Yeah, right. So I got uh, we, well, we both got the plug pulled on our asses. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so on uh, on this channel, actually, there've been a few of these, but. Um, so one of them was I interviewed uh, Natalie Wynn and the thumbnail for that is a, uh, is a, you know, just a picture of her that she uses for her, you know, incredibly popular channel with no problems, yeah. uh, you know, with, uh, you know, she's certainly fully clothed in the picture. Yeah. Uh, I, I've never seen anything like super controversial, like, and, and, they, and they said, like, like when they when they when they uh, censored the thumbnail, YouTube said that it violated their sex and nudity policy. That one's just a total mystery to me, like what what was going on there. Uh, but then more recently, on uh, we did a live stream with um, with Derek Varn from from Zero Books and, and Forrest and a, uh, a few other people uh, on on January six. You know, well, well the. Uh, you know, the QAnon were yeah. you know, storming the Capitol, whatever you want to call that. Mm -hmm. uh, 
sidebar that's really weird that that's the term that we've agreed on is insurrection because <laughs> it's such a bizarre anachronistic like, term. Like, like I've, I've never heard anybody use insurrection to describe anything in current events like I think in my life. Uh, so it's, it's just kind of funny that people sort of reach back to like, I mean, some theosaurus from the 19th century to decide what to call that. Uh, I'll let you finish. But, I'll you what yeah, no, I was going to say though, uh, the day that that was going on, we did a live stream and, uh, that was pulled and it still hasn't come back yet. Uh, they, and oh, they, word. yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and the email say like the email from YouTube gave us the reason that we were uh, that there was a policy against uh, like disinformation to suggest that there was significant fraud that impacted the outcome of the vote, which is obviously not anything that anybody on that stream would say or think. Uh, it was exactly the opposite. I mean, it was so like I mean, we were so far from that that there was like a decent portion of that discussion that was devoted to whether the Trumpists could technically be called fascists or not. But mm-hmm. um, but. I'm sure it was just like some algorithm detecting, you know, that we'd use too many forbidden words, you know, too many words that might have been used by people who were saying that. And then right after that, both of us around the same time were banned from Facebook temporarily. I got banned before that happened and then after that happened. So uh, can you hear me? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I got banned. There was a breakup for a second. Um. I got banned and they deleted my personal profile. So the original oh. profile where you and I were friends on, that's totally gone. All those pictures gone. That's gone. This is an old profile that uh, an ex of mine that we did music together had had. It was just dormant. And luckily, I still had the password to get in it and I was able to, to get in. But uh, um, someone said call it the wrath of Khan. Uh, I still do. I did an interview actually recently with NPR. I don't know. If, I don't know if I sent it to you. They called me oh, actually. On, they, they called me on accident. <laughs> they were looking for a different person with a similar thing, but they said the interview was so good. They're like, "Fuck it, we're gonna keep it." Uh, so I thought that was fun. But talking about what happened, so I wrote this thing, and uh, that I didn't think was very controversial uh, about kind of how we treat poor people, the death penalty, and and right after that. Bam, everything's gone. It was called Kill the Poor. It's a Dead Kennedy song. I know you're a rock guy. Maybe you're a punk guy. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 the, yeah, the Kill the Poor that's from uh, Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables. It's yeah. uh, one of my, yeah, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a huge punk guy, but that's definitely one of my favorite punk albums. And, you know, uh, I had some long, smart sounding wannabe Ben Burgess title. And I was like, nah, fuck that. Let me just be me. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a good title, but that was enough to set them off. Well, I, I think it's I think it's that, and I think it's also probably who you like, what you follow, because it's got to be more than just a few words here and there that we, yeah, we right. were saying in conjunction with each other, right? Um, and to get banned twice in, in less than a week. Uh, was it was it was scary because I need these things to do my show, right. right? And as much as we whine and complain about them, we do need them. And for them to be able to pull the plug on you so quickly, it definitely causes you to think twice before you say anything. I don't care what anybody says; it definitely yeah. makes you think twice before you say anything. Of course, and, I mean, and, yeah. and that's where the real f- 
anger and fear was coming out of me like damn i don't want to be scared to post anything because the second time when i got banned when you got banned yeah. what i wrote was hey anybody see that night stalker documentary <laughs> <laughs> That's all, that's all I said. Because I watched it and it scared the bejesus out of me. Anybody in the chat from California see the nice talker thing is scared the bejesus out of me. So Jesus. it's it really, I was like, okay, I I give up. I'm losing too much important stuff. I'm not even I didn't have a chance to like download uh every photo. I lost like a band page at the time. So no, I mean actually I, I can't imagine uh because because when I was you know banned uh i i mean look i i've had that facebook account i set that up i'm very old in uh 2007 <laughs> yeah uh, and that was that was what the first you remember yeah yeah that was um could have been 2006 i think it was 2007 and uh that was the first time in i mean whatever i guess having facebook already you know indicates that i'm not a uh you know zoomer but uh but um but that was the first time in 14 years that uh that that you know, I'd, I'd had any trouble with that. I mean, yeah. that any sort of ban or anything like that. Uh, and, and really, I mean, it makes you realize, you know, you mentioned, I mean, you know, you're talking about your photos. I mean, uh, like, I think that's like 90, 99.5% of just the personal photos that, that, that I have, or, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I guess my wife takes most of them and then, but like she puts them on Facebook, you know, like that's, uh, like all of that, you know, all of that would be, uh, would, you know, would be gone, you know, which, which would feel like a huge violation, you know, if, if that, uh, you know, if that happened, you know, it's like, um, that, uh, you know, there's an old, uh, John Mulaney up comedy special where he has this thing about somebody who he knew in like high school who, uh, who would steal like old family, like family photos, you know, from people's homes. Cause he, he said, he said, why would you steal that? He said, cause it's the one thing you can't replace. Uh, <laughs> that's, wow. you know, like, that, like evil person ever i know right <laughs> that, uh, but uh but zuckerberg has that power which is disturbing in itself mm -hmm. and it's also disturbing that as you say the social media platforms i mean certainly youtube i mean this is the primary place i'm, I'm sure my i'm guessing this is true of your show this is certainly mm -hmm. true of this show that this is the primary place where people access it. You know, I mean, there, there'll be like a, you know, um, almost as many people on podcasts, but I mean, like the main thing is YouTube. Uh, and, you know, so that is just completely gone, right? You know, if, if you, uh, if, if like the, if the channel were deleted tomorrow, uh, you know, that would be, that would be most people's access to this, uh, cut off and even if the uh the twitter or facebook account you know was 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 deleted tomorrow that that wouldn't you know like that would certainly be where a lot of people find out about it uh mm -hmm. cut off uh and this kind of goes back to uh to the conversation uh with um you know with adam uh earlier what's that fantasy land guy yeah, yeah yeah well i that that line i mean i i have to say uh, you know, he was a pretty good sport about this. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure that he's, you know, whatever, but like I have a, but that was the line that I have to say, like that uh, disappointed me. Uh, you know, when he said that yeah. thing about how the, the problem just wouldn't come up, you know, in libertarian utopia. Uh, and, and I hate that shit when people I agree with say it, when people who are, who are socialists who agree with me about politics mm -hmm. will just sort of like, 
will like will just sort of help themselves to the assumption that it's like oh no 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 in, in utopia you know like like everything <laughs> everything will be great we won't have any problems like you know like like when you ask like basic questions like if somebody says like they're a prison abolitionist and you say okay well what what about mm-hmm. domestic abusers and this and that and i'm not saying there are no good answers to that but i hate it when people just say oh no 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 like in the glorious socialist future you know, uh, there's never going to be anybody in the world who hits his girlfriend. You know, it's like, yeah, I don't know about that. That that's you know what's interesting about that. So, if if you've seen the show lately, uh, Torre Reed actually hooked me up with Pascal Robert. Uh, Pascal and I have been doing uh, uh, live streams about three days a week. It's been a lot of fun. Um, those guys are not necessarily <laughs> prison abolitionists. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely not pro like we need more prisons they're not that at all they're just not abolitionists so that's actually where there's a little bit of i wouldn't say friction but just a slight disagreement and actually we had a real deal abolitionist that studied under angela davis and you know eddie conway on last tuesday a a gentleman named dylan rodriguez who is a a professor out of uh, uc riverside and he actually has a really good book out called White Reconstruction, kind of in the vein of the Cedric Robinson teachings of, of Marxism. And, and we may not be like this, yeah. but those little differences aren't enough for us to be sure. foes. And he came on and we talked well, for like two I, 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 I hope not, because just sidebar, like... Uh, when, when people when that when, when that kind of difference is enough, you know, for people to be foes on the left, that always worries me because you think like guys, like these differences that you have with other people who are basically radicals, and you're disagreeing about like, okay, should we see the law? You know, can we abolish prisons entirely, or should we just reduce them by like ninety nine percent? If you think those differences are foe making, then I've got some bad news <laughs> about all the shit that like ninety five percent of the public thinks. And, and that's and that's how I feel about the show. I don't have to agree with a hundred percent of what you're saying. I think you bring something to the table that we need to talk about if we want to grow this left movement, right? So I bring I bring Dylan on, and I had I did a podcast with him before Pascal had met him, and we ended up just hitting it the fuck off because at the end of the day, it's a chill sit back show and he was talking yeah. about how they're organizing to abolish all campus police in the uc system mm-hmm. and the uc system we're talking about stretching from the, literally the bottom of california yeah, there's a the- lot of campus cops so that's a huge step when we talk about defund the police which he's not a fan of yeah he's not a fan of the rhetoric we all kind of sat there and agreed if i have to explain to you the slogan, eh. yeah, that slogan, and and to have that conversation with the person that is a real deal abolitionist, who who uh, you should have him on your show, man, because he's yeah. actually he's like he's I'll, I'll forward you his info. Yeah, uh, he he's been dealing with Van Jones for like the last twenty five years, yeah, in a negative light. Van Jones has been coming running interference on their movement for a long time. And when he tells his Van Jones stories, they're pretty fucking funny. Yeah, well, okay. For that alone, I'd also like to talk, have the abolitionism discussion with him. But for that alone, I'd like him to be on there because that, that's got to be like the whole sort of uh, progression of Van Jones from being like a Maoist, I think, to like... Oh, uh, so 
so him and another good friend of mine who went we went to high school together also they all studied under davis angela davis they both tell the same van jones stories and when i said it wasn't he a Maoist, i start to get cussed out by them <laughs> on how silly that shit sounds because they're like he's on some bullshit and he's always been on some bullshit okay. and he's always been a bit of an opportunist yeah. uh, which is interesting because he 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 holds a very important place in media. Um, he's been able to straddle a line that I don't understand. I kind of do, but I don't understand where he can go to CPAC <laughs> and still, you know, shed these tears for Black America and speak so eloquently in like the thirteenth documentary, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, so, um, right. So I, I think that uh, again, you know, I think that what. I'm sure thoughtful abolitionists have better answers to these questions, but the, uh, but the thing that I absolutely cannot stand is when people, you know, say um, like, Oh, don't worry about it. That won't happen. Uh, you know, cause, cause it's, it's just such a, like one, I think it probably will happen, but two, like it's such a, it's such a cheap answer. You know, you gotta do better than that. Well, uh, yeah. I listened to the whole thing, man, and uh, he. There was a point where he said something along the lines of, "If you want to be a racist asshole," and it's always racism is always boiled down to like it's not everybody. There's just a few bad apples, and you know we've talked before. I don't. I, I finally got out, but I live next to a very large homeless encampment. Not next yeah. to across the street. My neighbors. For those that don't know, if you've seen the movie, sorry to bother you. There's a scene where a lot of it was filmed where I live. There's a scene well, where the main character, Cassius Green, is driving down the street, and you see all these shanty, like an encampment. That is a street. That's not props. That's literally the street, and it's so much worse now. Uh, I'll make sure I'll tweet out a picture I took one not too long ago. You, people are living in the middle of the street. That's how bad it's gotten. Yeah. So when he talks about like, oh, you can just go to your little corner of the world and no one's going to fuck with you. Like we literally saw it in real time that there was a group of people that felt a certain way and another group that felt a certain way. And that's when the Molotov started getting thrown. Well, yeah. Plus, uh, I mean, that I mean, look, just the very idea of a homeless encampment. Uh, all right. Well. By definition, if you're in that encampment, you don't have property of your own that you can live on, or you wouldn't be homeless. So, uh, so the question is, where do you live? Uh, and you know, you can have that encampment, you know, on public property or private property. Those are more or less the options. Uh, and uh, if everything's private property, then you know, like, then you're just reduced to, um, you know, to hoping for the generosity of uh of somebody who's who's gonna you know who's gonna let you live there which i don't think is a good plan uh and if uh, if and if it's public property then again i hope that that's a matter of you know democratic collective you know decision although adam thinks that's that's tyranny of of the minority or he tyranny of the majority right that the uh that that it's stopping you know ben i'm telling you if, if homie came to the camp yeah this is his libertarian fantasy land is this camp. What uh -huh. happened? What, what what happened was some homeless cats was like, this is our land. And they found a loophole in the law. If you live so far from, it was like a hobo's law. If you lived uh -huh. so far from train tracks, 
and there's old train tracks that just ripped up the street right that yeah. go through where they live live and they could squat there it was their land per se even though they didn't own it a guy did own the land and it just wasn't feasible for him to build on it and that says more about the land than it does the homeless people. They, they weren't making it unfeasible. It was just the land itself, years of pollution. So the police are literally around the corner. They go to sleep there because this is in the middle of nowhere. We call it the lower bottoms. Yeah. Um, and they're not getting involved. Do what you want to do. Yeah, right. Homeless people have their own police force. There's definitely nefarious activities that go on that they police and, and organize to a degree. But it is the government free land that he wants. And he should really go there and see it because utopia that they describe, in my opinion, isn't living this John Wayne manifest destiny fantasy in wide open California in 18, you know, 48. It's the shanty towns of Los Angeles, Oakland, insert city here because they're everywhere. You know, I've gone around this country way too many times and I've seen them everywhere. So that's really where that libertarian fantasy, you you know, you want to try it out in real time. We'll go yeah. down there and tell me how that's fucking working out for everybody. And I'll, I'm sure they'll have a very, very, very a different fantasy to tell you about. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> and again, I, I think that, I mean, you know, so there was a, there was all something like the whole thing about consequentialism, which doesn't just mean caring about the consequences <laughs> of, uh, of different ideas. Uh, but, you know, whatever. Uh, like, I think thinking about that though, right, this, this issue about the homeless encampment, you know, gets uh, at like I mean, it connects what we're talking about about YouTube and the uh, and the tech oligarchs, uh, because presumably in in Adam's utopia, um, you know, I think uh, everything is is some you know everything is going to be some sort of of private property. You know, there's there's not going to be you know there's not going to be government property, in which case we really are on Plan A. You just hope for the. Uh, like if you don't have property of your own to live on, you just hope for the benevolence of some property owner who uh, who lets you live there. Knocking on doors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, and then of course they can impose whatever conditions they want for uh, for doing that. Which I think, if you think about it for ten seconds, is not good for uh, meaningful human freedom. If what we mean is is people's ability to live their lives how they choose, uh, you know how you know determine you know, determine their own life outcomes. Uh, but I think at least with Adam, you know, I think it's crazy and wrong, but I, I understand the position, you know, there's, there's, there's a kind of internal coherence to it that, um, that, okay. Um, you know, like freedom just means uh, don't mess with, you know, Me. don't mess with property owners doing, you know, doing whatever they want. Right. Me. <laughs> you know, uh, and I think, all right, well, obviously I, I, I disagree. You know, he said that the, uh, he was bringing up the planks, the immediate demands for the communist manifesto, one of which is just having public schools, you know, which, which, which I think that having public schools is actually helpful for uh, having people be free to live whatever lives they want to lead. And, you know, and, and 
going further a la Bernie Sanders and having free public higher education is good for that too. Yeah. Uh, you know, since that way you could pursue careers that require, you know, education, whatever. But, um, but what I get really confused by is when people start talking about tech censorship, suddenly a lot of people who I thought were on our side of that argument start mm-hmm. sounding like Adam. They, uh, they, they start saying, well, Look, you know the uh, the First Amendment doesn't apply to to private companies. You know they can disassociate with whoever they want mm-hmm. to, uh, and and it's it's this weird. It's it's like this. It's this. You know, it's like they've just switched brains with the libertarian. You know, when they're talking about this one particular topic, you know, this is how I feel about it. And I don't know if if everybody feels this way. They probably don't, and I'm okay with that. I lived a very good amount of time with a family that wasn't my own and they weren't very similar to me. Um, Idealistically, right. They were right wing Christians and they were white. Are they're still alive. (laughs) And they're still what? uh, Very, (laughs) but Living amongst people you don't agree with, the last thing you want to do is silence them all the time. Right. And there's something to be said about people forming communities or hives where it's just the same thought bouncing around with slight nuances off of it. And to live where I totally felt like a foreigner at first. And then, you know, I still get mail there. Yeah. Like I love those people to this day. Um, and I think people forget that because you remember whatever whatever bad words were said to you, maybe as a kid, or maybe you tried to escape your parents' racism or whatever the fuck that was. Now you now all that shit has to be silent. So people, you know, everybody clapped their hands. Trump, remember, remember uh, Kamala Harris ran on not deregulating tech, but banning Trump's Twitter. Yeah, no, I remember that that she uh, that yeah she brought that up in one of the Democratic debates. The, the, the debates and the, the, and the big debate with with uh, where Tulsi said some shit about her. Yeah, yeah, and, 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 and I remember because uh, Elizabeth Warren, you know, who I'm, I'm obviously not a fan of, but like I remember like even Warren was reacting to that like okay, well, <laughs> talking about the they were like, what are you, what are you talking like? That's it, and I, I. I don't care if Alex Jones has a Twitter or Dave Rubin yeah, right. or, or I didn't know who Jordan Peterson was until woke motherfuckers told me who Jordan Peterson was. That motherfucker yeah. isn't on my radar. Yeah. Ben Shapiro ain't on a lot of cats radar. <laughs> I have to tell my co-host Pascal about a lot of these assholes and we try not to talk about them. You know, there's other people that can go. You can go ahead and debate the motherfucker. That's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever's whatever's wrong with me. Whatever has to be wrong with me for me to enjoy that is wrong with me. So, you, I, you know what? You seem a lot harder. I don't know if you've been listening to more hip hop or watching <laughs> angry ass movies. I know y'all been watching gangster movies and shit. I'm gonna blame Forrest ass for that. Forrest would let Ben watch all these gangster movies because he over here acting real, not for the bullshit, uh, with this cat he was just talking to. Um, I think I wrote it in chat. I was like, I like hard ass angry Ben, though. It's funny. He's he's not for the bullshit. 
But I don't, I don't, oh, there he goes. Forrest, what did you do to Ben? I don't know. It's just, you, you know. host the show for five minutes and all of a sudden he looked like <laughs> gangster Ben. Too many movies. That's his problem. <laughs> nah, but that, that that I I don't I don't banning those dudes doesn't change the the fact that that those those people exist. Yeah, right. Uh, and and I think that like what you, I mean, if if anything, you know, it makes it harder to um, you know to to reach, I mean, maybe they're, you know, those specific individuals you mentioned, I mean, they're probably, that would have to be some sort of huge life change, you know, but uh, the, um, but they're not, you know, they're probably not going to be convinced, but, you know, but anybody who might listen to them uh, that is, uh, is not, um, you know, they're, those people are going to be made harder to reach by not being in a place, you know, where, where they can interact, you know, that, uh, and, and so if that's the goal, right. You know, is, uh, then that's not well served, you know, by, uh, by banning them. Uh, and honestly, I don't understand what the goal is, uh, is supposed to, uh, to be, because if you say like, you know, the thing that always got me about this when I was talking to Doug Lane the other week, we were, we were getting into this is yeah. like after the, uh, the insurrection happened on, uh, on the sixth, um, there was all this talk about, oh my, you know, like when, when uh, parlor was briefly taken down and they found a new server in like three days, but they said like, oh, it's so important that we get rid of parlor because they were openly plotting it on parlor. Now my understanding is that a lot of the plotting was actually on Facebook, but whatever uh, that, they were openly plotting on parlors. Like, okay, well, hold on. Uh, not to be a cop here, but if you if your goal is to is to foil these people's plans, then I would think that the ideal situation would be for them to plot it openly, uh, yeah. you know, because then you know what they're up to. You know, like I don't, I don't well, understand what you think you're going to gain by driving it underground. I, I had a homegirl that was there at the at the thing, and uh, she was taking selfies from the top of the Capitol and um, did not know that she was a big Trump fan. <laughs> uh, I couldn't even respond. I, I saw the, she was like smiling at the, it, I was like, Oh shit. Okay. I didn't know you uh, swang so hard to the right. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, and she goes, Facebook won't let me post any of the, of the movies or the videos. <laughs> So she posted like, like 40 fucking pictures. I was like, whoa, this isn't cool, dude. But you know, uh, again, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want her banned from social media. Yeah, yeah, right. And and I think also, I mean, there's a real question here. Like, oftentimes I think you know, people end up boiling politics down to this question of um of why of like how to punish whoever they think the bad people are right like 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 you uh you mentioned tory reed earlier uh adolf reed i remember during one of his discussions with michael brooks you know had a nice line about how this was like um uh you know that this is too protestant a view of politics for him you know that's like all about who you think is going to heaven and who's going to hell uh you know but uh and so they're so fixated, and you know, whatever. This is all over the place. Like, I think mm-hmm. this is just like a fact of like contemporary American culture that 
you know, liberals spent, you know, like four, you know, well, at least the first couple of years of Trump's administration consumed with the fantasy that Robert Mueller was going to perp walk him across the White House lawn. Uh, you know, your, you know, your friend who is at the, uh, the insurrection uh, is, uh, uh, you know, like, 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 you know, half of those people, at least, you know, were, were queuing on and that's all about this fantasy of how, uh, all the bad people are going to be like rounded up and executed for being cannibalistic pedophiles or whatever it is that they believe. And then like, I think people apply the same mindset to the tech censorship issue because the, the thing that matters most to them is, Oh, this is a way of punishing the bad people. You know, we can, we can punish them by having these companies deplatform them, even if to justify that they have to like, you know, rip off the, the, the socialist Clark Kent clothes to, to reveal the libertarian Superman within. Uh, but the, uh, what does that guy uh, look like? What does the libertarian Superman look like? J Andrew world. You got to draw libertarian. Yeah, yeah. And he's got to do, and he's got to do libertarian Superman for us. And we'll, we'll, we'll show it on the, uh, the next on YouTube in the next episode uh, and, and give him some dialogue, you know, he only, he only saves the people that pay him. <laughs> but where is my fee <laughs> yeah yeah he's like got he's like flying you know he's flying in the air and just rescued somebody uh and they and he realizes they can't pay him and he drops them <laughs> problem now <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> but or the libertarian gang <laughs> Like Wonder Woman's like that. What's that lady that ran on the Libertarian ticket? The, the president, George Jorgensen. Yeah, 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 yeah. George Jorgensen is Wonder Woman. Yeah, uh, this, Andrew. The, all this shit better happen. The, the Libertarian Super Friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, uh, we, we might actually have to if, if he wants to to write up a whole little comic book here. We can sell it through the Patreon or something. But uh, uh, dude, that a. Hey. Right now, I'm asking on the chat, would y'all drop a few dimes for Libertarian Super Friends comic? <laughs> if if we got, like, Ben to be a writer, who else is funny? Which one of you dirty sons of bitches are funny? <laughs> Nobody? Everybody's quiet all of a sudden? We'll find some people. We'll find the Siegel and Schuster of Libertarian Superman. <laughs> Libertarian Super uh, Well, I mean, the, the boys kind of was paramil like paramilitary yeah, government yeah, I, I didn't watch that much of that because I'll, I'll admit when the um, – so the guy, uh, Garth Ennis, that's, that's the guy who wrote the original. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, so he had uh, – so, so uh, he wrote Preacher, and I love Preacher. Like I read mm -hmm. all of that. You know, I thought it was great. Yeah, uh, but then um, my few attempts to read other things that he wrote, you know, like I didn't think, you know, like I, I wasn't that impressed by them. And uh, I read like the first volume of the boys and I wasn't really into it. But then I watched, uh, but then I watched like a few episodes. I was just, I mean, whatever this dates it, it's obviously, this is a pre March, 2020 thing. Cause I was over hanging out with somebody in person. Like we used to be able to do, <laughs> and, uh, you know, nobody was dying as a result. And uh and and they had the boys on, and I ended up watching like you know four or five episodes. I actually thought it was pretty good, so that's that's a good reminder. I should go back. It's pretty good. It's hard to separate it from the fact that uh, you know Vault International is pretty much like a like I feel like it's kind of an Amazon type corporation. So it's it's interesting to see how they navigate that. I mean, you know, it's it's like a defense corporation mixed with 
something like Amazon that does, you know, uh, PR and like, like technology work for the CIA and like, you know, the, the like military institutions. So it's been interesting to see them navigate that. And then the big, like AOC is the real villain twist at the end of fucking season. Really? Like, have you, have you, that like Amazon has some pretty decent documentaries on there, and then if you watch like one documentary, that's oh, that's pretty good. The next one is a super far right, like anti communism <laughs> one, like <laughs> the truth about Fidel Castro. I'm like, oh, that's not true at all. I lived in Miami for six and a half years. I had a lot of those arguments. Um, uh, but, their strategy is like their strategy with everything else. It's distribution. It's, you know what I mean? Like it, it's so everything at the wall. And like, you know, you want, you want socialist takes or something like Amazon will provide those and your capitalist takes and your far right. Like it, it's, it's less about, uh, it's less about, I think, coming up with an actual, narrative and more about just throwing so much at you that you don't really ever come up with any kind of coherent world. And, and, and by the way, for the benefit of any libertarian viewers who have, um, I, I like somebody in the chat suggested that, uh, that we should get Stavi from come town to write libertarian Superman. But, uh, in, uh, in any case, like if any, any libertarian viewers were brought in by Adam say, Oh my God, you know, they they just, uh, you know, they, they, they were talking about free speech and censorship, and then they just, you know, they just praised, you know, Fidel Castro's uh, Cuba by implication. Uh, uh, here's how it works, guys. Uh, you can hold two thoughts in your head at the same time. Uh, you, you, you can actually think it's possible, trust me, uh, that uh, there are good things about a society and bad things about a society, and you can praise the good things without endorsing the bad things. So that that's just a little... PSA for libertarian viewers who, who may be having that reaction. Um, <laughs> more, you know, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, you know, I think that what they're not, what they're thinking about is punishing the bad people. What they're not thinking about is how do we want institutions to work? What do we think the rules should be? Uh, because even aside from whether you, you know, whatever you might think of your, you know, like people who you may be in your life who have gone off the deep end and believe in QAnon now and, you know, however much, uh, you know, whatever mixture of compassion and frustration you might have with those people. Um, like the issue, the primary issue should not be what you think should happen to them. The primary issue should be what policies should regulate this essentially in its function, if not in, you know, like a, digital commons that we all rely on and who, and what, you know, what do they think the policy should be and who do you think should make those decisions? And the same way that I don't want, um, that, uh, that I don't want there to be, um, you know, like all land to be owned by private landowners. So if you want the homeless encampment, you know, you have to hope that one of them will let it, let you do it there. Uh, I don't want these massive chunks of the flow of information in our society uh, to be under the control of this vanishingly tiny number of tech CEOs. I mean, we're really talking about like. We're all very libertarian, right? Uh, I've been privy to be in some of those rooms and, you know, got to hear Peter Thiel speak. <laughs> you understand why guys in that room dig what he has to say 
Peter and, Thiel is the one who literally wants to uh, to use the blood of the youngs for uh, age extension, right? That's the guy. Yeah, I think they're called Blood Boys. My 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 girl who's in the next room, like listening to me right now, talk about this. I sh- I'm hella putting her on the spot because I'm hoping she walks over to, to explain <laughs> how the whole thing works. She works in medical research, and one day, like, explained it all to me. Like, oh, that sounds disgusting. And then, and then, but you know, it's funny when you go to the speaking of that, when we talk about like the the vampiristic capitalism, if you go in the hood, there's all these blood banks now where like grocery stores stood. Where I grew up, where the grocery store was is gone, but the blood bank is there with signs everywhere. You can make up to $400 a week giving blood. And it's like, word? Like, this is this is okay? Like, no one wants to push back on this at all? When libertarians like that control the narrative, then the mainstream media narrative starts to just become, well, who should get banned and who shouldn't? Right. And it's never the size of the company or breaking up monopoly. You never hear about people talking about monopoly on mainstream media. When the fuck does Rachel Maddow ever talk about monopoly? When the fuck does Fox News ever talk about monopoly? Yeah. Talk about that shit. Never. Yeah. Because they're part of one. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I know. Sure. I mean, look, Rachel Maddow works for uh, MSNBC, which is owned by NBC, which is owned by General Electric, uh, you know, which is, uh, even if it's not an according to Hoyle monopoly, is certainly a, uh, is, is, is certainly an oligopic, you know, corporation, you know, like it, it, it has, a, it, that, that's a pretty good chunk of the economy. Uh, actually, off the top of my head, uh, who owns Fox? Rupert that's Murdoch? Score, right? That's... Oh, the company? Yeah. The main company. I don't know the main the, the main uh, corporate entity that owns it. Okay, maybe somebody could tell us. It sometimes gets real scary when you start to find out like who owns everything. It's like those scenes of the, the movie where they pull back and <laughs> the earth. <laughs> and then it's just a big Fox sign. <laughs> or big Amazon sign. You're just like, fuck. Yeah, I know Rupert Murdoch is the main like uh, person uh, be behind it, but I didn't know what the corporate entity. Okay, so it's just News Corp. So, 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 side note on that: Did you guys watch? And for for uh, Forrest, you're you're a bit of a sports fan, right? Not 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 so much, but um, like a little tiny bit, like enough to know basic. I, I, I should I should so, say yeah, you know basic shit. Like so, you're not gonna be like one of them dudes. Like I don't know who the hell LeBron James is. Like you'd be like I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you're asking about sports ball. <laughs> Did you watch LeBron's movie about the Fox women? I call it LeBron's movie. He was one of the producers on it. Bombshell. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. I've never seen the previews for that. I never watched the movie. Oh, my God. Yeah. You got, that's one of the movies you guys should watch and fucking critique. Oh, yeah. That's a good idea. That's, that'd be fun. Oh, my God. Come on, do that with us. I should say, by the way, um, there was no uh, Griscom's usual segment, Outlaws and Revolutionaries. We uh, we didn't have one uh, planned for tonight. Uh, I was hoping that he'd, he'd come on for, uh, for for a few minutes anyway. Uh, but uh, I, I told him that you wanted to uh, you wanted to take up the uh, Super Bowl issue with him, uh, and he, Is he uh, hiding? Uh, yeah, he's hiding. Uh, he, uh, he, he, Griscom. He te- he te- he texted me with an excuse, and he said. Uh, and then when I said the thing about the Super Bowl, he said, um, 
Uh, haha, I'm right even when I'm wrong. Uh, <laughs> Kansas City should have won big time. If you if you follow me or David Griscom on Twitter on Saturdays, all we do is go back and forth about college football. That's, <laughs> so, that's, yeah. so, so I, I, I mean. You know, he has a whole explanation of why I couldn't make it tonight, but I'm pretty sure it's just that he didn't want to talk to you about the Super Bowl. Well, if you want to talk to me about the Super Bowl, I watched that shit almost in its entirety. I missed most of the first quarter, and I did watch the halftime show as well, which was very yeah, I came in. We were doing a, a stream earlier in the night, so I, I came in. After I saw that. Time. I was like, Ben is going against the Super Bowl. Man, <laughs> big cast iron ones for that one. Yeah, so we, um, so I, I, yeah, I came in like sometime in the third quarter, but um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think to, like, so you, you expected uh, the Bucks to win, but you didn't think it was going to be like that, did you, or did you? Um, I wasn't expecting a close game like a lot of people expected. Um, if you, this is probably going to bore a lot of people. I'll be quick. If you go back and look at older games of similar players that have come in the league and kind of lit it up real quick. Yeah. Eventually you're going to get found out. And one thing about the chiefs is the small fast guys eventually get hit mm. and the soft defense eventually gets exposed for being a soft defense. And it's always like a tougher team that beats them. So the Buccaneers, are they like the best team in the NFC? Obviously not. There were a wild card team, which means they played, no home playoff games. They didn't even win their division. And they went on to to beat, you know, barely beat Washington, who's a under 500 team in the first playoff game. Um, they just matched up very well against the Chiefs. I, I had a feeling that that team of veterans that's a little bigger and stronger was really going to give uh, uh, the business to the Chiefs and their their game plan was genius. Does not get beat over the top, and we'll beat them up underneath. And eventually they'll drop balls, and that's what you saw with you know sure-handed people like Travis Kelsey. They're eventually going to start dropping balls because he hasn't really been getting touched all season. So I you, you saw that with the Rams losing to the Patriots in '99. Um, I'm trying to think of another Vanessa team that that happened to. You saw it with the Dolphins in '84 against the Niners. Um, so it's just a thing that happens. The one thing I think is funny people say Patrick Mahomes will be back. It's like they said the same thing about Brett Favre, and he ne he never went back after he lost to John Elway in '97. Dan Reno never went back after he lost to uh, the, the Joe Montana the Niners in '84. So there's, I don't, I think the same thing is going to be said about Patrick Mahomes because he can't keep a coaching staff like that together. So that's all I'm going to say about football. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so I, I do want to uh, I want to get to some super chat questions, but before we do that, uh, there's there's no um, I'm not anything like smooth enough to come up with a natural transition here from the Super Bowl, uh, but um, but since you uh, since you brought it up when we were talking about you know topics to uh, to chat about tonight, and and I do think it's important, uh, and there's a you know, there's a right and a wrong way to do this. We'll see what we do, but there's, uh, but, uh, our, uh, our good friend, Jimmy door, uh, had <laughs> a, somebody from, um, from an organization, uh, called the, uh, the Boogaloo boys, uh, yeah. Yeah. on his, on a show a while back. Mm -hmm. uh, 
now I know where the Boogaloo boys are because, uh, you know, my, my wife is low key obsessed with like, uh, with, with, with right wing extremist weirdos. Uh, and, and she'll tell me all these things about them. I always just say like, like the running joke, uh, here is she'll, she'll say, you know, like, cause, cause she thinks they're really dangerous and threatening. And she'll say, you know, you do blah, blah, blah about the Boogaloo boys. And I'll say, well, if they want me to take them seriously, they need a better name. Uh, but, um, so war two electric boogaloo. Yeah. So, uh, which we watched a which we watched with Derek Varn Jean's Wi-Fi went out it was like me Pascal Derek Varn and and Dan Larson from Toy Galaxy I made them watch the breakdance battle from uh Electric Tube uh, uh Breaking to Electric Boogaloo <laughs> on fucking air that shit was hilarious that's awesome um so and then, you know, whatever you think about, you know, about that decision, and I'm not particularly interested in in, in getting into, um, you know, to to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the defense of this, uh, I, I think, is interesting, and I think is is worth thinking about because, look, uh, I, I think I'm pretty. I'm not. I mean, I won't like. Um, you know, I don't want to equivocate about this. I'm, I think I'm pretty on record as, as saying that uh, Jimmy Dore is very dumb and very unhelpful. But, uh, you know, what, whatever, you know, whatever you make of that issue, uh, then I think I'm with that, you the, on that my take's a little more angry and violent, but yeah, my, I'm with you on that. Yeah. So um, the defense of it, I think, is really interesting and, and really worth talking about because. The defense, uh, you know, was yeah. I mean, look, I, I think again on Jimmy Dore in general. I'll, I'll just, I, I think the most polite way I can put it is the way I put a couple weeks ago to Kate, Katie Halper when she was on here, which is that I think that there are uh, productive forms of outrage and there are counterproductive forms of outrage. Right? You know, that's that's. What did, what did she say when you said that? I don't remember if she directly responded to that part. I mean, like that's, that's not any kind of dig at Katie. It was just like a lot was going on in that conversation. And, you know, not everybody always picks up every thread of everything. You know what's funny? She retweeted my show where I asked that Boogaloo boy question to Fred Hampton's lawyers. Yeah. So, so this is what I want to get to uh, because the defense of it, I think is almost worse than uh, the thing itself is the defense of it is, Oh, uh, Fred Hampton, uh, and we'll talk about, you know, about who he is, but I mean, this is, this is a really, this is somebody that I think if, if you want to know your like 20th century American radical history, you should know who this is. Yes. Uh, you know, Fred Hampton, uh, worked with, and this was the phrase that was used this white supremacist, uh, mm-hmm. organization, uh, the, uh, the young Patriots, white, uh, white bigots, I think is the, oh, yeah, is white bigots is what they say. Yeah, which- it's, uh, it's, it's, like, it's even like a milk toast way of calling them racist. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Well, I mean, it goes back to what Jason was calling attention to at the discussion with Adam conflating being a racist with just kind of with conflating racism with just kind of being an asshole. An like, asshole. Is, yeah. You know, I hate that. You know, it's like, Oh yeah, no, whatever. Like it's, it's like your friend who you're a little embarrassed by. It's like, yeah, it's an asshole. You know, like that's you know, like, kind of fascisty when he drinks. Um, so this is to put it mildly not a 
historically accurate uh, depiction of what that organization is about or, or this basis working with them. Uh, and I think this is also something that beyond setting the historical record straight uh, has strategic implications to, to think about. Uh, Forrest, do you have the, uh, do you have the clip? Yeah. Uh, hold on. Oh, you gonna play the clip. Damn, you're going to make me double mad. Okay. No, no, this isn't, this isn't no, a clip. clip of, of, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I got it. Hold on. Uh, yeah, this isn't a clip of uh, of Door. This is a clip of a documentary about the uh, the event that uh, that's being misrepresented. Oh, you okay? Yeah, that's actually um, the PBS documentary. It's uh, it's in the Chicago Film Archives. It's not the PBS one. It's um, oh, it's not from the PBS original. documentary. It's the, it's the, yeah. it's the one it's really really yeah, sure. yeah. Okay. Um, it's a, like a nine minute cut of different stuff so we can stop it and break it down if you want like parts of it sure yeah let's, let's just start it? It and get a little bit into it okay they're young patriots they're just young street guys who are doing things and what do we want to do we want to stop getting hassled we want to have our office we want to do our thing without, you know, getting hassled by the cops. We want to get all together. And I sat in jail for two years, man. And I thought, me we gotta get and, I, and I thought, I did a lot of thinking, man. And, and the thinking is that that there's a rich man, man. And a rich man all the time got to have a dog to kick, you know? And that's us, brother. That's us. We're the dog. We're the dog he's kicking, man. Like my mother, she pays 30 rent for two rooms. She pays uh, 20 on Girl Street. And she's got 10 bucks left to get back and forth to work. And that ain't shit. Okay, I want to fight, man, but I don't think that you can deal with the man on his terms. There's some times when you've got to to go in, you know, you can say nonviolent, and then up to a certain extent, you know, you have to use violence. you got to use your wits, man. Everybody got wits. Right. Everybody got some smarts. Yeah. See, one of the things that's good about, about the young patriots is there's different kind of people in it other than Southern. You know, we just got, we've got Spanish, Indian, Italian, some blacks in Alberta. Right. Where does the call head? Where does he come from? Cuba. He come, we even got a Cuba. Cuban. Cuban guy. Can't understand English, but you know, he could talk anyway, you know. See, and they're all, they're all interested in the problems they got here. You know, and, and they're, they want to change them. What we have to do now is pull ourselves together into a functioning group of people who can go out and rebel against them. Yeah, I'll tell you what, man. Get about clear with us. Let's stand with us. And we'll tear them apart with our hands, man. <laughs> and we'll put it through your guys. Okay. I don't know you people, you people don't know me. I'm from the Young Patriots on the north side. You are, you people here are middle class whites. I'm tired of it, man. Now, y'all think the cops are supposed to protect you and all this good shit. But we want to get all these people together so we can fight together. Y'all can join us. Y'all can fight us. We want proper housing for the poor people. We want proper jobs for the people that have no education to get jobs. The right payments. We want decent housing so people can live. The people that's got nine children, their father can't work. That's what we want. That's what I'm here to talk to you about tonight. Yeah, but Johnny, you see, we have, we have two candidates who come here. One man is waiting here a long time to get to speak. You know, well, I've been waiting all my life. Hey, Craig, well, what, what they're trying to say is that their problems are your problems, too, lady. Don't you guys consider 
What did he ask right there? I couldn't hear him. No exploitation. What did he ask? Do you guys think they would consider uh, joining up with the Black Panthers and organizing? Okay, that is what he asked. Yeah. So this is this is um, the meeting in which um, the 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 first Black Panther representative that was there um, met the young patriots. They they met at a at this at this meeting where they were trying to appeal to like the bourgeois white liberals in Chicago in order to like defend parts of their community from um, being built up by like developers and gentrification. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so they're, they're meeting to try to get help from these bourgeois middle-class liberals or like moderate liberals, I guess mm-hmm. in, in the community. And they end up um, linking up with the black Panthers. So this clip kind of goes into that. I, I cut like small pieces out of, uh, out of this documentary. Okay. To put them into kind of a thing. Yeah. So. Okay. Uh, Do you want to say something, Ben? Oh no, sorry. I just. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that uh, the you know the, I think this what we've watched you know gives gives people a little bit of a flavor of of what this organization was uh, you know was was actually about, uh, and they this claim I and mean, we should talk a little bit about uh you know fred hampton and the and this the, the project you know political project he's pursuing in, in chicago and the kind of coalition that he was putting together but uh you know even though it's it's sort of like i think that uh you know it is true that the young patriots um you know that they used uh some you know confederate flag you know imagery at one point which was certainly a bad choice and one that they later stopped doing uh at the but, behest of the panthers right right <laughs> uh, you know. there's, a, there's a scene at the end of this documentary where one of the the leaders of the um young patriots kind of uh explains what he thinks the confederate flag means and it's definitely not the way that it's used by you know racist southerners i mean i I think i told ben this before uh i I haven't said it good to good to meet you for us we've never met in internet life so yeah good to to meet you brother uh i I worked in the south i am a native californian and i went and worked on oil rigs in the south and it's the deepest fucking part of the south so i worked with some guys that were in the clan and i saw a fuck ton of confederate flag uh tattoos and they all have them for the same reason They'll say tradition. This is where I'm from. They don't really see anything wrong or racist about it because they don't understand the history. Right. Well, I live and in, when you I exactly, and and like so, I think that conflating that kind of um, of ignorance uh, or like or just sort of not like completely under you know of like not really understanding the history or maybe even being like oblivious to how other people you know like would. Like what other people would would uh, would get out of that symbol, uh, conflating that with it being used as like a defiant, uh, you know, as like a defiant em- emblem of of white supremacism. That's the it's, rebel it's, flag, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's that's the biggest. Like I'm a badass. I got the rebel flag on. So you can imagine those dudes in their minds they are like these brothers got these these black leather jackets. Imagine what that looked like in 1965 well we're gonna rock these confederate flags because we some badasses and then when these cats have that meeting of the minds and they go oh okay 
yeah. <laughs> if it's offensive, well, okay. There's, there's also there's also the part that you know a lot of people are coming out of Appalachia at the time and moving to to Chicago because you know that's where the opportunities were. Yeah. And there was this you know there's this very conscious uh, effort to recruit a lot of those young white Southerners before racists could get to them. Mm-hmm. Using using imagery they'd understand, like um, emblems they'd understand. Using you know um, southern like like a lot of like obviously southern like language and rhetoric and symbols to try to bring those people in and say we understand you. We're from the same place, but actually class is a much uh, is a much more defining relationship to where you stand than race is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is so this is important to uh, to get into because it's. And again, I'm I'm much less bothered, you know, I'm not a big I'm not big on on platforming taboos to begin with, you know, like like I think uh now I do think that if if you're gonna have somebody on who has crazy views, you should at least argue with them. But yeah. uh, you know, that's 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 the aspect of it that bothers me much less than retconning uh the uh, the history of uh of Fred Hampton. Uh, very insulting who's uh yeah i mean i mean it's a, obviously it's a massive insult to uh to to hampton who who's who's really like a uh, a martyr for you know for for radical politics at the uh, at the time uh so if for people who who don't know you know who he was um you know this is i mean i'll 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 turn it over to, to Jason to say more in a second but i mean this is a uh black panther uh, leader in uh, in chicago uh, who was was murdered by uh, the um, the police, the FBI? Police. Yeah, okay. yeah, uh, like 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 in a really like um, like like in an astonishing way. So like Aaron Sorkin did this this movie, which you know the politics of the movie were terrible. The trial of the Chicago Seven, uh, but this is one thing that he got right in that movie. Uh, you know when they when they alluded to this. Uh, that, uh, that there was literally, he was, he was shot by the police while he was asleep, yeah. uh, in, uh, in bed, uh, in, in his apartment. Uh, and, and part of the reason, uh, that he, that he was seen as, as so threatening, you know, to, uh, to, to the powers that be, uh, in Chicago at that time was precisely because of this. I, th- I think actually, a couple decades before uh, before the Jesse Jackson campaigns, he used the phrase "rainbow coalition." Yes, of, of of different forces that he was putting together. But this is a coalition that did not include any white supremacists, for God's sake. No, and 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 talking to his lawyers who were there, and they weren't just his lawyers. Like after the fact, they 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 went down to Chicago. I forget where they were from to go help this movement. And Fred Hampton had got arrested for stealing ice cream and distributing it to kids in the neighborhood. And he was in jail for that. And they helped him. Get so, out of that. This is, this is, um, this is the most famous Fred Hampton uh, clip, I guess that everybody quotes wrongly. I mean, politicians love to quote it wrongly, but this is from the trial, his ice cream trial. Um, oh, you got a quote from that? Well, this is, this is the, 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 the famous uh, class solidarity speech that he gave in the middle of his trial. Mm-hmm. Um, that I don't know. It gets it gets misquoted constantly. They don't. Yeah, well, sure. Attorney and the state's attorney's office has reason to see great happening in jail. We've got a new state's attorney. He said already what he thought about people in different uh, political beliefs than he had. 
His speeches sound somewhat like those of Hitler, and we know why he wants to see Fred Hampton put in jail. Why do I have a lot of arrests? Because of harassment. Why is that harassment? Because the people that harassed me have set up a problem that made me disagree with them violently, and, and they, they set up this problem in order to exploit me and other people like me. And why they want to get rid of me because I'm saying something that might wake up some other exploited people and some other oppressed people. And if all these people ever get together, then these pigs that are exploiting us, we'll be able to run into the lake. That's why they want to get rid of us. And it's just, uh, it's sort of like a primary thing with me. I'm the, I'm the first move that they'll make. I'm a part of an organization who will be the first organization they'll move on because I happen to be a part of an organization, the Black Panther Party, that is the only organization, in fact, that has came out and stood up loud and clear and said that we don't care what anybody says, whether they have guns or not and badges or 18 uniforms, if whenever they step outside the bounds of legality into the bounds of illegality, then we'll blow their brains out if they're bothering the people. Right and what makes them mad about that? They're constantly bothering the people. Anybody that's out there for the protection of the people happens to be in direct conflict with them. What makes them mad about it? What makes them mad about it is that they have black people and white poor people and red poor people and Puerto Rican poor people and Latin American Puerto Rican people of uh, uh, poor people of all descent. They had them caught up in movements based on racism when the Black Panther Party stood up and said that we don't care what anybody says. We don't think you fight fire with fire best. We think you fight fire with water best. We're going to fight racism, not racism, but we're going to fight with solidarity. We said we're not going to fight capitalism with black capitalism, but we're going to fight it with socialism. We stood up and said we're not going to fight reactionary pigs and reactionary state attorneys like this and reactionary state attorneys like Hammerhand with any other reactions on our part. We're going to fight their reactions with all of us people to get together and have an international proletarian revolution. Right on. Right on. Right on. And that's saying all powers and people. Right on. And you, you've heard the testimony of pigs here, and you got pigs of all colors. You know that. You got pigs that are white, you got pigs that are black. You even got pigs that are black and white. Propagating the same type of madness that uh, uh, this buffoon Henry had would be propagating if you were here himself. And why? Because they want to keep you to believing that I'm your enemy and that everybody else that's black and that wears a lot of hair on his head and hair on his face, they want to keep you thinking that he's your enemy. Why? Because if ever you would disregard him and overlook him just for a minute, and throw away that question of racism and started to deal with a little logic, then it could be, there would be no one else you could attack other than Hanrahan, other than Davy, and other than Tricky Dicky Nixon. If you make the right decision, then the press people of the world will get complete satisfaction. I know you return to keep the verdict of not guilty. Thank you. So apparently that's from a mock trial. Um, okay. I started with uh, my show off with that, and and those guys got into that that whole thing about because they were there uh, when when that when that went down. Um, yeah, get got to. Uh, we should um, we should retitle the uh, the episode with that uh, that that line about dig in with a little logic. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't know it was a mock trial. Yes, it's a it's a. Uh, I, bro, I didn't know till the people yeah. that was there told me so. Because. If that was a true, like a try, like that would have been a mind, like a serious mind. <laughs> a tricky dicky Nixon. <laughs> what, 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 the, the, my favorite, I found this. So before these guys come on my show, yeah. I went down a Fred Hampton rabbit hole, right? 
probably as Forrest did as well, trying to find these clips. And you, you're kind of shocked at the footage that's on a guy that was only alive for 21 years. Yeah. But what an amazing organizer. Before he even joined the Black Panther Party, he like quadrupled the membership from like 6,000 to 20 some thousand uh, people for an NAACP chapter when he was a teen. The man had a way of speaking to so many people at once, right? That's why he's so frightening. And what to me is more interesting is the way he looked at SDS. So when the Jimmy Doors of the, I hate saying his name, when the Jimmy Doors of the world kind of have this, not even Pollyanna-ish, kind of like it's just as approach to class and class politics, um, but they don't look at that clip where SDS is supposed to be a bunch of Marxists as well. And in this clip uh, is where I learned the term customeristic. Because Fred Hampton says that SDS's tactics were customistic. And he goes on in the clip to say, and it's a great clip. It's like 11 minutes long. And it's this news guy trying to get the 10-second soundbite from Hampton. He wants Hampton to say, fuck SDS. Right. Hampton's not ever going to say fuck SDS, even though he might think fuck SDS. Because he felt that their tactics were going to hurt innocent people. So when we look at the, the Boogaloo Boys and Jimmy Dore's, you know, very childlike love for all people poor, we forget that people can get people hurt. I, my show is called This is Revolution. It's a lyric from a song, man. I'm not trying to get nobody hurt over no bullshit. And one thing Fred Hampton says is we can't go up against the government with what we have. He goes, they have military type weapons that we can't fight he goes people are going to get hurt we we don't agree with sds in that in that in that thinking well SDS, right, i shouldn't say sds it was a weatherman i'm sorry it was, it was the oh, weatherman. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah well well this is uh our, i mean i know way 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 too much about like the org charts of of uh of of like splitting and fusing socialist organizations <laughs> I, I really need to try to forget that that's taking up <laughs> space but um but the uh, at the SDS convention, I think in 1969, uh, the uh, the weather faction um, sort of took over, although they mm-hmm. lost the vote. But they kind of, you know, like had. Uh, but I think they had like the keys to the office, and so you know they kind of declared that they won the vote, and um, and so what basically what was SDS like on a national level became you know the weathermen. Uh, and, uh, there were, I mean, I'm sure lots of like local chapters and stuff didn't go along with that, but then, then they, yeah. And I mean, Custeristic is a, uh, is a really good word for it. Uh, <laughs> you got, if you watch the clip, he's like, that's just, it's silly. He goes, he goes, it's folly. It's child's play. And <laughs> yeah, when yeah, you hear him, you're just like, ah. Well, and, it's like, yeah, yeah, because, 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 because that, that exact thing, you know, that's that, I think, that's that sort of distinction. It's it's not that we don't want to, um, you know, tear down the system and replace it with something better. We certainly do, uh, but you know, there's there's a there's a difference between disagreeing, between like moral disagreements uh, or even disagreements about political goals mm-hmm. and disagreements about strategy and tactics, and that that line about the. Uh, you know the weathermen. You know, being being customistic. You know, is, is a good is a good way of uh, 
of of capturing that right you know it's it's not the uh the question is is not uh you know whether you agree with the radical goals the question is is what's going to accomplish that and yes. i think that's something that um i think one of my you know i mean i don't want to give um Honestly, I don't even want to give, you know, Jimmy the oxygen of spending too much more time talking about him, but uh, he has like what, like, I think the thing that I often find most frustrating about him or one of the things and that whole style of left politics is that it's all about conflating uh, strategic and tactical disagreements uh, with, uh, with like moral perfidy and, 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 and being a traitor and, you know, not having the same goals and it's just so massively unhelpful that you know that that uh, that if you if you want to win, what you should be be thinking about is how are you going to get together uh, the the kind of uh, the kind of coalition, the kind mm-hmm. of uh, a vast majority that that you would need to to take on that that system that otherwise would uh, would massacre you. Uh, like uh, like Custer's last stand. So I mean the, uh, the the Hampton Rainbow Coalition, like that's a really good instinct, but it's it's just it's just making us like a, a really. I mean it's both kind of despicable and dishonoring the memory of that, but it's also uh, it's also just super unhelpful to uh, to to caricature it as oh you're going to work with white supremacists and then you know and then they'll see the error of their ways eventually. It's 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 also you know. Shout out to Doug Lane. Uh, Maybe some of you guys might have seen me on Zero Books. Zero Books has picked up uh, one of my shows, and and you'll see me on there. Shout out to Doug Lane. Ben Burgess is a big reason why that happened, so thank you very much, Ben. Um, What I I don't like about that oversimplistic view, Doug had did that that video maybe a week or so ago, and and, and he said uh, it was called like the AOC Jimmy Dore debate. And he was like, well, the one thing they have in common is they both believe that they can fix shit within the confines of the Democratic Party. Mm. And when I was telling Pascal that, he just fucking was like, yep, that's that shit right there. Right on, right on. Because you can't. And to take the one person that's maybe the most popular and focus all of your attention on that person. For whatever reason, could yeah, it be yeah. because she has more followers and she has a bigger reach? Is it because you think she's the face of a movement? The squad, I don't believe in my heart that when she won election, Rashida Tlaib won, Ilhan Omar won. Who's that? Who's the fourth one? Who am I missing? Uh, Presley. Uh, Ayanna Presley who won. Who doesn't exactly count as a, a, you know, as a leftist sharing our... <laughs> See that's and this is where it gets interesting. This is where it gets interesting. I, I, if you guys haven't watched the Left Flank Vets, they're a bunch of uh, leftist ex post nine eleven military vets that are like Marxists and socialists, right? Now, um, they recently had Mike Prizer on their show. Like that's the that's how they lean, right? And we were talking about this because one of them actually worked for a senator. Actually, I think a couple of them might work in politics, and so when you look at it from inside the machine, uh, you make certain uh, uh, alliances to keep getting ele- like Katie Porter, for example, is an Elizabeth Warren Democrat because she comes from a swing state. Listen to Katie Porter talk. Why isn't she part of the squad? Mm-hmm. Cause she white. 
I don't know. Do you think those four girls got together, four women got together, and put their fists in like the Wonder Twins and say we're the squad? Or do you think the media concocted the squad? Yeah, I mean, I think, they, I think and, to a great extent it is a media concoction. I do agree with Forrest. I, th- I think that the uh, I think that um, that AOC and, I think and Trump came up with it. And, and did he? I, I think. Oh, yeah. Pretty sure Trump. I mean, he had the whole like AOC plus three <laughs> thing that you go AOC plus three, the squad. Like he, so for a while he was saying that, and I think the media kind of push that into like yeah i, I mean so, so I, I i do think that uh yeah i think i of presley is a little bit different because i mean look i think i think like really concretely in the primary you know uh you know the other three endorsed bernie and presley endorsed warren so that's some yeah. kind of distinction right there uh but i i think that um you know i, I think that there is you know, as much as it might be something of a media concoction or whatever, you know, like there is something to sort of seeing that as like the kind of Bernie Krat, like unofficial uh, caucus uh, in uh, in the within the Democratic caucus in the House. Uh, but I think the real question that, that, you know, maybe Doug was kind of pointing to when he said that is what's the uh, what's the larger strategy? And mm-hmm. uh, and I think that the one like. Look, one answer. Actually, uh, I'm curious. I'm, I'm not sure where you come down on this, but I mean, like one one possible answer that I disagree with is mm-hmm. uh, is that we should be trying to do like third party electoral efforts right now. I don't think that would work. Like for president, like make a party actually, on Twitter. So, so I, you're right. That was a little vague. So, uh, you know, we could we could say yeah, or or even like for Congress. <sighs> I, I mean, I like third party stuff on even more of a local level. If you're going to go yeah, that yeah, route, yeah. I think you have to build it from the from the ground up. Um, As somebody that grew up in a town that pretty much at one point our mayor, yeah, New Paltz, yeah, everybody was pretty much elected from the Green Party. I I, I agree on the local level. Thing. Where are you from? Um, New Paltz in an upstate New York. It's like 90 minutes from the city, but. Um, yeah, near where? Uh, is it near Kingston? Yeah, 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 yeah. Kingston's like in our county. It's like right. It's like, like yeah. When, when Shaheen was, uh, was on the show, he was talking about how um, you know one of the uh, like an early in his career as a lawyer, you know, an early case was defending uh, this this Green Party mayor who was like uh, one of the first people in the country to to uh, officiate, you know, like uh, like like give le- marriage licenses to gay couples. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, our producer Forrest is from there, uh, but uh, but yeah. So I, I I agree that I think to the extent that third party stuff could be successful right now, it's it's on a local level where local conditions you know make that possible. Uh, I I think uh, I mean a lot of those races are nonpartisan anyway, but like maybe some of them are partisan. And you can't do that. I mean my um, you know my take is that because the American electoral system makes it so hard to uh, have more than two major parties in contention at one time. Like sometimes people draw these analogies to other countries that I'm not totally convinced by, because I think those countries just have very different systems. Uh, So I think that probably if we had an electorally viable third party in the U S it would come about the same way. Well, the only time, the only time that's ever happened in American history, was Abraham Lincoln's 
Republican party. party. Yeah. And that, that happened. And that wasn't like some situation like Jill Stein running for president and getting 1% of the vote. And somehow it snowballs or something becomes a real party. That was because that was the anti-slavery wing of the old Whig party that, you know, when the Whigs imploded, you know, that basically became a new party. And I kind of think that if we're going to have on a national level, a meaningful third party that could actually win elections would probably come about the same way from one of the existing well, parties. Can I ask you? Of, can I ask you a Forrest question then? Um, sure. And I asked this question to to Mike Davis. So when the sixth happened, I had an interview scheduled with author activist Mike Davis. I'm all fucking yeah. excited because I'm reading City of Quartz, and every fucking chapter is just. <laughs> Mike Davis is a, is a wow. I love being from California. And he taps right into everything I love and hate about where I'm from. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all ready to do this thing with Mike Davis. I'm not watching none of that bullshit. And he goes, sorry, can we reschedule this for another day? I'm watching this putsch. Putsch. I can't pronounce it right. Putsch. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. And uh, my mom hits me up. And mom's like, are you watching this thing at the Capitol? And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? So I have to watch it. And then my mind's blown. So I see my homegirl on Facebook taking self-position. My, my mom sent me a similar, a similar series of texts. Because on the 6th, uh, we had scheduled a live stream about Martin Scorsese's movies, Mean Streets. And <laughs> I'd seen it years ago, but I hadn't seen it recently. So... Mm -hmm. On uh, that afternoon, like in the late afternoon, I was watching Mean Streets and people kept like everybody was texting me, be like, oh, my God, are you watching this? Do you see what's going on? And I was mostly ignoring the text. And then I finished the movie. And it was five o'clock it was, or it was like 450 or something. And then, you know, my wife comes out and talks about it. I was like, oh, shit, we really can't do the Mean Streets stream today, can we? Right. <laughs> Fucked your whole train of th thought up. And yeah, I mean, also a great Van Halen song, by the way, Mean Streets. Sorry, can't do mean streets, meaner, meaner streets are <laughs> happening right now, <laughs> dude. That I so when I finally watched it, I was like, holy shit! But I asked, I asked Mike Davis this question. I said, did uh, Donald Trump succeed where Bernie Sanders failed because he's setting himself up to actually form a third party? Uh, and he said, no. He said he felt that Bernie Sanders did everything right, but he uh, said that his campaign after he had lost wasn't tied to any sort of worker movements to gain any real power. Yeah. And the last thing he says was just, it just gave me chills as he said it. He says, we can never give up the streets. Ooh. Yeah. Well, I, I think that last part's definitely right. Um, I, I don't, think that bernie sanders campaigns i mean i did everything right i i think um i mean whatever like i don't know how yeah we we, we can play monday morning quarterback all you want that was just to me yeah. that really hit hit on something that i think we always all of us that have these shows talk about yeah. which is a fractured left yeah right for sure and and i think um i mean look i i think that on some level I don't know what would have happened if the primaries had kept going, like mm -hmm. if, if there'd been, uh, you know, if, if things had happened differently. And so it was like the, the democratic convention actually came about and Bernie was still winning. I have no idea how that played out, would have played out. And that actually kind of goes to the point about the Whigs and the Republicans, which is that mm -hmm. I think that 
Uh, I like uh, Dustin Guastella and um, Jared Abbott. I think wrote a uh, article for uh, Jacobin about this. I don't remember the title of the article, but it was the, but basically what they said is that the idea of what's sometimes called like a dirty break, like making a clean break would be just saying, okay, we're going to, you know, like, like den exit, you know, that whole thing, you know, if you, if you remember (laughs) a dirty break would be like something that's the more uh, that is, you've really built up something you know, within the Democratic Party and this somehow a break, you know, and mm-hmm. and so what I say is a dirty break and taking over the Democratic Party aren't really the names of two different strategies. Those are two different possible outcomes of the same strategy that uh, that if you build up enough of a power base, if you build up essentially, a, you know, enough of a powerful enough Bernie crack kind of wing of the Democratic Party, then you get to a point where either you'd be taking it over and then presumably the centrist would be splitting and going somewhere else or uh, much more likely probably the, uh, the, the centrist maneuver to, uh, you know, to get rid of you. Uh, and then like you have something like the Republican party emerging out of the Whigs that it's not like it starts out as some tiny fraction. It builds up. It mm-hmm. starts out life as its own major party. So I think that would be the scenario where at least I have the easiest time imagining getting like a new major to cut out if the Democrats just kind of imploded. But where I do think I agree with Doug uh, is that there is something like, mm-hmm. like I, you know, I, I like, you know, AOC and, and Rashida Tlaib and, you know, those people, you know, I, I'm, I'm a defender, but, uh, but I think that, I think that they do probably have are making kind of the same mistake on uh, in some level that the uh the force of the vote people are making, which is thinking that the way we're gonna get the stuff that we want is by pressuring or lobbying or somehow getting like the democratic establishment to do it for us. Uh and whether that's the the nice version that like, oh, you'll be like part of a coalition and you'll lobby behind the scenes and you know, you'll like what the kind of thing people are usually talking about when they talk about uh moving the Democrats to the left, or whether it's some sort of more confrontational version, like the the like the larger scale strategy mm-hmm. is still you think that you're going to get what you want by by somehow pressuring or lobbying or tricking or cajoling centrists and doing it for you. And I think the only way, I think that's wrong. I think the only way we can do what we want is by is by just winning a whole ton of elections uh, against centrists. And of course, I do agree with that you know, Mike Davis's caveat about how you can't forget about the streets either, because I think that even if, even if the left did win a whole ton of elections and wasn't a position legislatively to get through, and I'm not even talking about, you know, the sort of, you know, post-capitalist future that we'd all like, you know, I'm just talking about like robust social democracy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think even to get that, I think controlling those legislative levers probably is not enough. I think that you need like a, uh, a mobilized grassroots movement that could overcome the inevitable resistance that you get from the, uh, the top of the society. So I think that's totally right. And, you can't and that's, and that's kind of where I, I sit and I don't really see that because it's just so fractured. Right. And the one thing that gives me hope and I, and I keep trying to give them as much love as I, my little ass show can is the debt collective. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They've actually done real yeah, work. Tell people who not be familiar with that with them what debt collective is. 
Say again? Your, your computer broke up. Oh, sorry, sorry you- I said, oh, so for the sake of viewers or listeners later who might not be familiar with them, uh, you want to tell us about the Debt Collective? Why, certainly. <laughs> uh, the Debt Collective is uh, basically they form debtors' unions. And I, f- I forget the name of the college right now. It's, it's uh, I can't think of the name of it. Corinthians College. They okay. actually got uh, Corinthians College, which was a for-profit college that told these people, if you pay this exorbitant amount of money in tuition, student loans, you'll get a great job, yada, yada, yada. Well, that didn't happen. Kids' degrees weren't even valid. And they ended up suing. And under it started under Obama and under Trump, they had to give these people back their money. They formed a coalition to not pay and change policy under the Betsy DeVos reign of terror. And to, to watch or to read about their movie, say they have a book on Haymarket, Can't Pay, Won't Pay. Excellent book. Um, to read to read this book is kind of a call to arms on why it's so important that we we can mobilize around our debt, which just keeps us from having movements like the Panthers. As I'm hanging up the call off air with these two wonderful older gentlemen, the lawyers, uh, Jeff Haas and Flint Taylor, mm. I said, do you guys ever trip about the fact that you probably can't do that now, what you did then, because student debt. You know what Flint Taylor says? What's that? Huh, you're right. He says, huh, you're right. Do you think Bernie Sanders would have been able to just, you know, skip on down to Mississippi and all those other white people to, to see justice if you're burdened with student debt? I know a lot of people on the left don't like this guy, but a non-geared Adas's book, Winner Take All, I think shows that in in his first chapter where he talks about a young woman that wants to make the world a better place, but understands in her mind, the only way I'm going to do it is if I make a bunch of money first. I'm going to go to McKinsey. I'm going to take this shitty job I hate, and eventually I'll be able to change the world. Juxtaposed to Bill Clinton, who wanted to change the world and went into electoral politics. Yeah, well, actually, I have just been reading his research for something that I'm writing, uh, Christopher Hitchens' book about Bill Clinton, which is uh, phenomenal. It's um, called No One Left to Lie to, um, mm. which which gives you an idea you know, of what the book is like. And it's it's um, it's it's like, you know, um, pre 9-11, you know, left Hitchens, leftist Hitchens at his best. And um, and he's very uh, like like he he goes into uh, the the horrors of, of welfare reform and, um, and, uh, the union busting, you know, all that <laughs> stuff. Right. You know, like, like, like he gets, you know, like, like it's, it's a really like scathing, uh, you know, report basically on the, uh, the Clinton record. But in that book, uh, he quotes, uh, something that, that Bill Clinton said in like a letter, like in to like a draft board or something. And anyway, so, so, but this, this quote is from the Vietnam era. It's from the seventies. And, uh, and when Hitchens quotes it, he says, a lot of this is, is good. It's like, just, you know, like, he, like Bill, young Bill Clinton has some good anti-Vietnam war sentiment, but he uses this phrase, uh, that he's not taking a deferment, you know, because he wants to, or he's not, uh, he's not filing as a conscientious objector. You know, he's trying to get out of it some other way. 
in order to quote maintain my viability within the system and <laughs> the fact that even when he's like 19 or whatever young bill clinton is yeah, already talking and thinking like that like really gives you a sense of what's going on in uh, in clinton's head you know like like even at that point that it's like that like how many other people uh, out of all the people who made all the sacrifices that they made, you know, uh, personally to uh, to resist that war, uh, how many of them was anywhere on their mind in 1971? <laughs> like, ooh, but how is this going to play in, in Iowa in the 1992? <laughs> how is this going to play out for my rightward shift of the Democratic Party? <laughs> exactly. Well, it's a common thing. Like, you have to be completely sociopathic to even want to be president. And Bill Clinton is the literal in, embodiment of that. Uh, yeah, yeah, he, he, yeah. He is not a my my co-host Pascal. Uh, oh, who also said shout out to you guys? I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, he says, "Tell Ben I said hi." So Pascal says, "Yeah, yeah, gotta have uh, Pascal as a Haitian American is not a fan." Yeah, well, I, can, I can certainly imagine. The, he uh, hates the Clintons like uh, with hate that I can't. Well, yeah, Jesus, like just just off the top of my head, I mean, there's the uh, uh, you could talk about before Clinton, uh, before Clinton sent sent uh, sent troops to uh, to Haiti, uh, you know, repatriating, you know, uh, Haitian, you know, Haitian refugees, you know, talk about the, some of the stuff that went on, you know, during that occupation. You could talk about uh, when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, and it came out on the WikiLeaks uh, cables, uh, the State Department. Uh, was lobbying the Haitian government against raising the minimum wage to uh, what would have been the equivalent of five dollars a day. That was too much. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, they, they the Clinton family has done a number on that country. But I, I want to. Uh, um, do you uh, do you have uh, do you have time to stick around and answer some super chat questions with us? Yeah, yeah. The kids with my mom. Okay. All right. Outstanding. So I'm with the adults tonight. <laughs> Outstanding. Um. Can, before that, can I? play this is just kind of satisfying um yeah. it's uh and, and and there's more clips if you want to if you want to play any of them going forward but the the last scene i included from the young patriots thing oh yeah yeah let's let's uh, do it is, is the is the member is the I'm, i i got to find it really fast but it's it, like in this video but um is the is the black panther member that they meet at this meeting basically yelling at them that they don't know how to organize and, it, <laughs> and it, it's 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 pretty it's just viscerally satisfying to watch like you know these young these young southern street kids get like completely schooled by uh by by like a random black panther guy that they just met like it had to have been like one or two days before so they meet this guy and they bring him to their to like have a meeting with them and he basically just goes like do you know how to organize so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, by all means, let's watch that and then let's go to the Super Jets. <laughs> but I want you people to stick together and I'll stick the black man and they'll stick with me and I know they will. We're going to do it our own way and that's all there is to it. Right on, right on, your own way. I saw a Black Panthers movie last week. The points are real good. You got to pick up the gun, that's all. Right on. Oh, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of him coming down the street and kicking my damn head in for him. Nothing I ain't done. Bobby Hutton gave his life, man. The cat was 18 years old. He gave his life. And from that day on, Panthers moved up. Moved up for the black community are concerned. From that day on, Panthers moved up because black community knew, knew and felt what Huey was saying. But Huey went out and did for the people. 
what the people they want to do for the last 15, 20 years. He did to the pig, to, to the pig what Roger would like to do. Nobody's saying that, hey, we're not saying go out and off the pig, go out and start shooting the pigs. You know, but this way he really did it. If it comes to that, I'm sure that one of these brothers are capable of doing it. We're gonna stop this shit one way or the other. We have to fight with guns. Before you can do that, you gotta be some discipline. But I'm reacting yeah, to what I said you wanna do. Okay. The first thing is discipline, man, before you can even control the pig, for you're off it. You're off it, man. From here, you start out going to the community so the community know, man, what you're doing. Because see, if the pig off you, if you off you, Roger, and you just you be going to the funeral, man, you've been in the casket, and the people community don't even know you did. You got to have a community back. The pigs, the police are protecting the landlords. If Roger run out with a Montau cocktail to throw one of these rat-infested buildings, they kill it. They kill it. They kill it. Somebody answer why? Why did why the man come down us like that? Why? What you saying, brother? Well, this thing about protecting people, they're about protecting property. Right. Right. You been to jail for baby? You been to jail? Right on. But I take nothing with but the pig. Once you realize, man, that your house is trunking with rats and roaches, you know, same with a black dude's house is, you know, once you realize that your brother's been brutalized by the cop, the same way the west side and south side is, you know, once you realize, man, that you're getting inadequate, man, education in these high schools, the junior high schools over here, the same way the south side and the west side, you know, once you realize that you are paying taxes, taxes for the cops to whoop your ass, you're paying them. You're paying them, man, but they whoop your ass. You're paying them to come in to beat your children. You're paying them to run you off the corners. And you're paying them to kill you. You deal from there. The same thing is happening on the south side and the west side. And you can realize that concept of poverty, the concept of poverty, right. a revolution can begin. Now, Wednesday, model cities is meeting. They're going to put through some kind of program, and, you know, we're all going to get run out of here eventually. Now, I put a proposal together that people that want to be together, people listening to this stuff and digging it, and people that's got it in their hearts that want to be together, be up here Wednesday. We go down and we'll stop that meeting. See, man, when he, was, when he sat there, and he, and he didn't really chastise that young man. He took him aside like you're supposed to take aside a kid that fucking angry yeah and you let him know that that violent action that you want to commit and i know why you want to commit it is going to get you killed and it does nothing for anyone that's huge to say that to that young man at that moment where he's sitting in a room with a bunch of other people that's right on in his fucking pissed off violent action that he wants to do so i mean we look at the panthers and you know they're always portrayed as the angry cats with the guns but when you see that shit right there it's like it was way bigger than that they cared about and 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 again the, the lawyers talked about it on the show they cared about people sincerely you can't be about this shit to that level to this level if you don't care about people fucking sincerely i work with homeless motherfuckers i care about people sincerely and it comes across real motherfucking shit like that to me comes across. Uh, and that's why they had to go. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and also, I mean, I, I think what people most remember about the Panthers are the um, the armed patrols to uh, you know to police the police, uh, mm-hmm. which is certainly an important part of the story. Uh, but you know, also, you know, along with you know all of the you know community breakfast programs and everything else they were doing, uh, there there were you know like. I mean, I, I guess it's, uh, you know, I guess it's reformist if you want to use that language, but it's, uh, but there, there were also initiatives to try to do creative things like uh, local ballot initiatives to, mm-hmm. uh, uh, to, to create, um, you know, neighborhood boards that wouldn't just be like typical community review boards that are toothless, but they would actually have the power. Were, to fire and fire. Yeah. Community policing of the police. I mean, where I just left in, in West Oakland, there's, there's a speed bump that's known. The Panthers got that speed bump there because cars were flying down the street. And if you've ever lived in a neighborhood where cars fly down the street and people get hit, and you've ever seen people get hit in those neighborhoods, it's fucked up. It's fucked up. Yeah. It pisses you the fuck off. And for them to be like, you know what? We're going to put a stop to this and we're going to show the community how we all put a stop to this. Exactly. So, there's a few people yeah. like there. We have a city councilwoman right now, Carol Fife, that's doing her best to, to, to bring that same um, fire <clears throat> back to the city. Uh, I believe she was part of uh, of the group of people that got uh, the police defunded, which is mm. if you want to get into that conversation in the next half, it's an interesting one. I'd love to hear your guys' take on it. But they also got the, the police taken out of the public high schools out here, which is huge. You know, going to a school with police and then going to a school without police. It's just so fucking huge, right? Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, I think that uh, I agree with what you say about how, um, you know, if you have to spend a lot of time explaining a slogan to people, you should probably just pick a better slogan. But uh, but uh, I, I, I think that I, I like most of what I think people uh, mean you know, when, when they talk about uh, defunding the police, that, that we shouldn't have, um, that we shouldn't have like local police departments that have so much like, you know, that have like the kind of equipment budget where they can buy a tank uh, to, uh, you know, to do local law enforcement. That's insane. Uh, and we should have actually, I, I just closed it out. So let me see if I can find this again, uh, that, uh, that we, um what we, you know, like what we should have is things like uh, actually. So Denver actually did implement some of this. Uh, this uh, I think last summer, doing the math, uh, you know, during the post George Floyd unrest, you know, I'm sure that's what motivated them to do it. Uh, there. Uh, so let me just uh, show it here for people watching on YouTube uh, that they had um, they have this program to have healthcare workers be like the uh, the first response call. Yeah. Uh, instead of instead of cops for a lot of things that, you know, that armed cops, you know, would be uh, would be normally sent to uh, to do, uh, which has been, you know, has has been in place for six months. It's, uh, you know, and, and it seems to have, uh, you know, and, and it's been used hundreds of times. And, and I'm sure, you know, the point is not to say that this is a be all and end all solution to anything. But I think that having people who aren't uh, armed and dangerous and, and, and ready to shoot people, you know, be the first call, you know, for a lot of these situations, like, like has got to be an improvement. And I think that's the kind of thing that a lot of police defunding activists have in mind. And I'm all for it. The one thing besides arguing about the rhetoric and what the best slogan to sum it up is the one thing I would say is that, that I don't like about a lot of defunding rhetoric is that, 
like the math just doesn't it kind of doesn't work you know that they'll like they'll really suggest that um that just shifting around money within city budgets from police to other things like this is going to be enough that we can have robust alternatives uh to um you know that we'll have all of these uh you know we'll have all these counselors and social workers and the education which, which can be which can be glorified police and i think that i'm actually going to have that show with a young lady that has worked in the counseling world for some time and we're going to talk about things like harm reduction and the the issues with that and then also the issues with counselors as police yeah because so- counselors are kind of like police um when, although, when you- although, although if they're at least disarmed police that's a step in the right direction uh right but, but, but the thing is can we improve your your i'm sorry to cut you off yeah yeah well no no all, all i was gonna say is that they uh is that whatever else you might or might not think makes sense about this or doesn't make sense about it thing is like mathematically this this just does not work like uh, when people say, oh, instead of cops, we'll spend money on X, Y, and Z. Anytime you actually look at it, uh, like you could take, like the New York police department is one of the, uh, is one of the most bloated police departments on the face mm-hmm. of the earth. Billion dollars, uh, multi-billion dollar budget. Yeah, right? It's crazy. But that said, it's also like the size, like I think, sometimes we talk about this, we don't have a sense of the size of the New York city budget that uh, you could take away every cent from the NYPD and you wouldn't even equalize spending between the richest and poorest school districts in New York. Uh, so, uh, so the, I, I think like my, my, you know, I, I don't want to be too like sort of, I, I don't want to be too critical. I want to, I want to yes. And them, you know, like they say, mm-hmm. it prof. but, uh, but, but I, I, I can tell I'll tell you a true story. If we got we got a minute, yeah, or you yeah, know, we'll save it. Yeah. True story. So I I work. I, I no longer. She forced me out. No, uh, I, I worked. There's emergency shelters we had here in California that were hotels, right? I worked in one of the hotels. So they basically take the hood, throw it in a hotel. Didn't really have services. Whatever that is, so you literally have the hood in a motherfucking hotel. So if you was beating on your girl. In the tents, you're beating on her in the hotel, and it's harder for us to find out about. There was a young lady, drank a lot. It's also they're also wet shelters, by the way. That means drug use is totally fine, alcohol is totally fine. Uh, she drank a lot, she did a lot of hard drugs, and she's also had crazy mental health issues. To be in the hotel, you had to be usually older with diabetes or have severe mental health. So she she was one of the severe mental health people. And she would get on one around the first and try to start fights with everybody. And she had kicked someone's dog. And I start hearing my name screamed from outside. I run over and a woman with her dog is like, look, Jason, I need you to move this woman. She didn't say right now. or I'm going to fuck her up. I was like, all right. Security comes with me. They weren't allowed to do too much. And I'm like, hey, you got to go back to your room. She doesn't want to go back to her room because her dude beats her. Yeah. And pimps her. Now, I can't remove him because he's what's called the head of household. If I remove him, then she's got to go. She's threatening to fuck people up 
telling me she's got a knife. If I call the police, what's going to happen when they find out crazy woman at the COVID hotel has a knife? Right. So then I'm told, you know what? She's got a response team, a mental health response team. Call them. Call the mental health response team. It's about 4.50 on a Friday. They answer the phone and they go, it's 4.50 on a Friday, man. We're not coming out. I was like, man, aren't you supposed to be the people here that are supposed to save the day? He goes, look, you said she had a knife, right? I was like, that's what she say. He goes, call the cops. Luckily, another woman who knew her from the streets was able to talk her down and stay in the room with her to calm her dude down so she didn't get hurt. Yeah. So that's the reality that a lot of people are stuck with when you are in this world where violent shit happens. Right. And do I want to call the police and hope they don't shoot? And I've seen it at the other end where you call police because somebody's gotten their behind kicked and the cops go, eh, we don't want to come down there because it's COVID. Yeah. So. All right, I'll shut up. No, I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to, certainly not going to pretend to have a good solution to that. I mean, I think that that's, um, you know, I, I mean, I do think that some of it, like, and I wanted to fund the police, by the way. Let me. I definitely want more services. It's just, it's it's such a it's such a complex issue because we also don't want uh, uh, social workers as police coming in policing people that already are, have lost all agency on everything of, that they have in their life, right? Yeah. And it's it's just it's it's a tougher hill than people would like to think it is like you can't just have a hotel and say well bitch we threw you in a hotel aren't you happy now right because i'm not gonna lie that was my thinking yeah i live across the street from people that's living amongst rats and all of a sudden you can get a fucking hotel wouldn't you be happy right the room was better than the fuck I was living in, and it was like, nah, man, because there's so much other shit that yeah. we're dealing with within here. The yeah. problems that you have, the problems that you have in one in one place, follow you into the the next place. Whether that's, <laughs> yeah, whether that's and, and, it's a, um, and I mean, you're also dealing with the uh, the ends like, uh, like the the end result of a lot of of deeper you know well, certainly personal problems in people's lives but i mean social problems that are generating these things and so if you're coming in at the last link in that chain uh you know then i i again this is where like i said i don't want to be too critical like i want to yes and the defunding people because i do agree with them right like, like yeah. I, I, I just think it's insufficient yeah. uh, you know that's like but but oh, i yeah. think so the inefficiency thing, by the way, like I, I was thinking about saying this before the story. Um, the a lot of what a lot of what defund like defund activists think is going to be put back into city or state money is federal money. Like mm -hmm. a lot of the programs that militarize the police come yeah. from federal programs. That money doesn't go back to cities. Um, which yeah, which which, which goes back to why thinking that you can just shift around money within local budgets. 
yeah. you know, sort of crumbs that cities have to play with, you know, in, in the neoliberal hellscape that we're living in is, is going to be remotely sufficient for non-carceral solutions to these problems. You know, it, it's, yeah. it's, I mean, again, I don't want to pour too much cold water on it, but I mean, it's, it's not uh, like, like you have to, I mean, sure. Yes. Do the defunding, but, but, but you, you have to think beyond that. Uh, Forrest, do you want to, um, so uh, I remember way at the beginning, well, actually while I was doing the uh, debate with Adam, we had a couple of uh, super chats from, uh, from somebody who, uh, who I like quite a bit, I actually met him in uh, uh, a year from um, uh, exactly a year ago yesterday. Um, yeah. The last TMBS live show in uh, in Brooklyn. I got Damn. I got the picture I got the picture on uh on my Facebook like the memories or whatever of Griscom in the cowboy hat after we were all chilling in Brooklyn at that bar and then he was playing country music at the at the end of the night and he was like he brought out his cowboy hat collection. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. You were you were over at his apartment with us, right? The, yeah. At the end of the yeah. night, which is which is what I always say, like where. <laughs> that outlaws revolutionary segment at the end of the show comes from, you know, that uh, I've had that experience a few times. I've been out bar hopping with Griscom and then we end up back at his, uh, his apartment and he'll like, you know, pour some whiskey and put out some country music and start talking about it. And I wanted to, uh, you know, share that experience, you know, with a uh, broader segment of people, but, um, but, but yeah. So, um, so the guy is somebody who uh, even before I met him at the, at the live show, I knew who he was because he was somebody who used to regularly call in to TMBS when they do those uh, Discord calls. Uh, is uh, uh, Tom from Yakubia, uh, like the uh, the the Nation of Islam thing? You know, Doctor Jacob was the uh, was the uh, was the mad scientist who invented the white race. So uh, so let's get the uh... <laughs> yeah. One second. I had, it, I had it up a second ago. Um... Monetization. So here it is. All right. So yeah, I think you had two uh, two super chats earlier. Yeah. Um, I talk about Oregon. Yes, Eastern Oregon is not like Portland, and Southern Oregon is not like Portland. <laughs> So he said, uh, Ben, we met a year ago last night at TMBS live show. Your memory being dismissive of COVID, echoing South Park's take on SARS from a few years ago. I'd like to say in the words of press secretary, Nixon press secretary, Ron Ziegler, that statement is no longer an operative statement. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I've been, um, I, I, I had forgotten about that comment actually, uh, you know, whatever he said about COVID and SARS, uh, but um, I remember that South Park episode about SARS. That was hilarious. Uh, they they did the um, the like they went they, there was like the guy in the trailer doing the white people vision quest with uh, with like uh, it was like huffing glue or something. And uh, uh, they they had anyway. It was a very funny episode. Uh, but. Uh, but yeah, I'd forgotten about Tom's comment, but whatever. I was right there with him. I mean, I don't know what I said at the time, but I I remember like talking to my little brother about it like later than that, like weeks later than that, and uh, and being like, um, yeah, whatever. I'm sure this is nothing. It's like you know, I remember, you know, I remember MERS. I remember SARS. I remember the swine flu. You know, like, 
you know, there were there were big scares about all these things. I'm sure this will just, you know, go away like all of those did. So I think I think there's a lot of wrongness to go around. Now, to be fair, neither Tom nor I were uh, public health officials, so I, I don't think Fauci gets off as easy as uh, as, as we do. But uh, but yeah, a lot of wrongness uh, to um, uh, to go around there. But yeah, that was a that was a great weekend. Um, I was yeah, like this this time uh, this time in February. I might be getting my trips to Brooklyn mixed up, but I, I believe probably this time on February 8th last year, I was at Michael's apartment watching Donnie Brasco. <laughs> Great movie. Yeah. That, that weekend, that weekend um, I was just like, I ended up in the city for like five days and it was only supposed to be like me going down for, well, it was my dad's birthday and he was, um, he, he was going down to the city anyway. And I ended up there till like Tuesday, just like, I think this time last, or I don't know, the next night I remember I was at like a rave for some reason. I ended up at like the last, <laughs> the last rave I went to <laughs> before COVID, which last year I, or yeah, it was last year, last 2019, year. 2020 or 2019, 2020 it was right before the for the lockdown. Yeah. That's so crazy. Well, I just didn't, I, I mean, COVID hadn't even registered with me at that point. You know what I mean? Like well, it, it definitely hadn't registered with me by that weekend of the live show, which is probably why I don't remember Tom's comment. I probably, you know, I mean, I remember meeting him and thinking it was cool. <laughs> like, I don't remember that comment, you know, probably because like COVID wasn't even really on my mind that much. Like there was a, uh, I remember I had a student who was saying that his mom or somebody in his family was in China and they were trying to, uh, and and it was like this big bureaucratic hassle because the Chinese wouldn't let them leave because of COVID and uh, and and at the time, like, it was so much not on my radar that I wasn't even registering. Like, yeah, maybe that's a good idea. That if you want to keep you there for a little while, make sure you're not gonna, you know, you're COVID negative. Like, I it wasn't even on my mind. I was just like, oh yeah, sorry to hear that. That's an annoying bureaucratic hassle that you're going through right now. And and I was even, trying like, to think of when it when it when it hit me, like when, like I was trying to think of the date like a couple of days ago. And I think it was the week before it was the week before the, the lockdown happened in New York. Like, I think was when it really hit me that like, Oh shit, like this might actually like be a, a longstanding problem. Yeah. So I remember like after like a couple of weeks after the, uh, the live show uh, being, so I flew to, uh, cause it was actually so, uh, a year ago tomorrow on February 9th, uh, that was the Sunday. Um, so I'd been crashing with, with Michael over the weekend and my wife and staying with friend in uh, New Jersey from when we lived there. And then we all got together for lunch on the last day that four of us, me and Jed, Michael and his girlfriend, Theodora. And, uh, and while, uh, and while we were at that, you know, which was very funny, like, because uh, it was the first time my wife had met Michael, and, and she, uh, uh, and, and I remember she told him, every time I see Ben watching YouTube videos, it's either, always either you or Bernie, and, uh, and, and Michael was like, yeah, no, that's, that's correct, you know, that's what you should watch, <laughs> but uh, on that subject, you know, he was talking about um, going to, uh, he was thinking about the next day. Uh, he was thinking about driving over to New Hampshire to, to do a little canvassing. And, uh, and of course I couldn't do that, but that's when I started thinking, Oh, I should, I can't do that, but there are cheap flights from pretty much everywhere to Las Vegas. So I, I can, 
I could fly there to uh, to canvas, you know, before the Nevada caucus, mm -hmm. uh, which I did. You know, I was there the uh, the day. Um, you know, I, I spent the day canvassing uh, cab drivers on the Vegas Strip uh, to um, you know to vote for uh, for Bernie in the caucus. And I remember while I was there, that was the first time I saw people, like a few people, walking around wearing masks. And I remember that uh, the guy I was with. Um, uh, Roger, who's who's like a, a local activist there in uh, in, in Las Vegas, uh, was uh, was sort of you know, and this is not a, a slam on Roger. I mean, this is again, this as we saw earlier in the episode, this is what public health officials, you know, were telling. I remember, you know, was, he you was. You don't like, need those N95. Stop buying them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was like, "Oh, look at those people wearing the mask. You know, that doesn't do any good. You know, like mm -hmm. uh, uh, so." So yeah, I think it was definitely on my radar by then, but then I remember like a, you know, week or two after that, uh, when um, basically everything shut down all at once. Like there was like a, uh, uh, there was a, I remember there was a basketball game that like I think literally stopped mid-game, you know, because somebody had tested positive. Uh, yeah, that was the dude that was touching all the microphones, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I hope you feel bad about that. Uh, but, uh, and and then like, yeah, it just felt very apocalyptic. Everything was kind of crashing, you know, crashing down all at once. And you know, and at first, like, I, I think that was definitely when I when I first realized like just how big a deal this was. Mm -hmm. And then that like Imperial College of London report came out like about how if we didn't lock down and you know just let it run through the population, however many million people were going to die around the world. It's like, Jesus, okay. I, That's I why Trump says he did such a great job, remember, in the debate? <laughs> millions, millions, say millions. We talk about the people that died, but what about the people that didn't die? Yeah, all right. So uh, what's uh, what's up next? All right. Um, so there's the, do you think Kokish is a grifter thing, which I don't, I feel like grifter is an overused term. I mean, no, I, I think grifter is definitely an overused term. I mean, look, I, I think I, he believes what he says, but he's going to make some money while he says it. Yeah. Well, and you know, I mean, That's I'm not, not a grifter. I don't think, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that, I don't think that, you know, I don't think that making money, um, you know, out of, uh, I mean, look, I've got my Scrooge McDuck, you know, pool of gold coins that I swim around in from Patreon. You know, like, I, I, I don't think that making money, uh, you know, I, I do not. It's, it's, it doesn't generate that much money. Uh, but, uh, but people think that. Yeah, people do think that. Like, people think that, like, if you have, if you do any sort of, um, you know, if, if you if you have a Patreon, if you do anything that's monetized, that like you're just rolling in it, you know, and it's like, guys, some bad news for cats. I know, right? This is not. I got some uh, bad news for cats. It's like <laughs> the music business is the same way, where people think certain artists are are better off than they are, and now that the lockdown happened, and and where I lived, I, you know, I told you, Ben, uh, are you you're a music fan for us? Music, just generally a music fan. Generally, yeah. Some people yeah. are like so yeah. fucking over everything. They don't like music. I mean, I, you know, I, I dabble in the music. <laughs> uh, I, so I lived in a music, a, a music rehearsal and recording studio for several years. So every genre of music you can imagine was jumping off out of that 
studio from large bands to nobodies. And I know people that have uh, platinum records that have had to, you know, file for, for aid. Yeah. Because everybody's hurting because no one had as much money as, as you know, you would think they had. Yeah. Trust, trust me. Most of what comes in, you know, goes straight to paying my greedy producer, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> in any case. I need to get that. I need to get that platinum health insurance. That, the, pl- uh, the platinum that, plan. <laughs> I, somebody, that somebody in the chat told me that I had that one time I was talking about force the vote. <laughs> oh, yeah, word. they said you had health insurance. He's like, just, I remember, I remember like reading through the chat one of the first times I was on as a producer and we were talking about force the vote. Cause that, that all happened like right as I started doing the, the on-screen producing stuff. And I remember somebody saying, um, I remember somebody being like, yeah, well, you were actually in a position because of the work that you do for different shows. You were actually in a position. I remember you said where you were doing, you were producing segments about segments that you produced. Yeah. On shows. yeah. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I edited a clip for weekends where Anna was talking about the, the force of the vote town hall and played a clip of the force of the vote town hall, which I had clipped. Yeah, because yeah, because that was on Katie's show. Which yeah. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, uh, um, but so so I remember somebody I remember somebody in the chat was just like, which know, is by the way why it's so absurd that everybody assumes that like whatever you think about that shit is personal because yeah, you know if if I, if my you know like like I I have I have friends people I've really working relationships with you know who who are on both sides of that if I. Uh, you know, if I were if I were primarily motivated by personal relationships, I keep my mouth shut about the whole subject. <laughs> uh, I like, why would you be mad that somebody's got like I don't understand the whole shit. Like, oh man, fuck, man, how the fuck can you have empathy? You got healthcare, bitch. It's like well, yeah. okay, well, well I don't you guys I work don't. in your world. Yeah, Forrest doesn't have health care, but I, I have uh, I mean I'm you know, I have, I have have nice enough money coming into the Patreon to pay for that. But, uh, I have I have I have health insurance in the sense of like I have Medicaid. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah, I'm on. I'm on Fidelis for, through Medicaid. Like your ass is gonna get the boot when you go to the hospital too. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. well, right, because like, it turns out that stringing together part-time jobs at several different podcasts uh, is not actually a uh, is not actually a lucrative line of work. Yeah, uh, but you got a backdrop behind you. Especially <laughs> not, especially not. Uh, you know, non-Coke Brothers funded podcast. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, there are definitely democracy now. We can get no foundation money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, I I don't. I mean, look. Do I think? Um, yes, we make very very little money off of uh, off of doing this. I, I I hope that we can build it up to the point where that changes. But nobody's ever getting rich out of this show. Uh, but uh, that's not happening. Uh, in any case, look, I don't think yet. I don't think but you're on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that. Um, I don't think that Adam's character. I mean, I, th- I think that you know he was. Um, you know, I mean, look, he he was in. Uh, you know, he's an ex marine who who went into Iraq veterans against the war. He was arrested for you know for 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 you know anti war protests. Uh, now, I don't want to, to be clear, I think that the political conclusions that he came to are completely crazy and wrong, uh, and and that I think it's something that you can only believe from a certain, let's, let's put it this way, that if you are, and I'm not saying that he's even necessarily, you know, 
I'm, I'm sure Adam doesn't have the Scrooge McDuck, you know, pool either, but um, I think that if you're in a position where you can buy some land and have that little homestead and have whatever fantasy of, you know, you're going to declare independence for the United States or whatever. I then, declare bankruptcy. Uh, and, um, <laughs> then I think that that sort of libertarian vision that like, as long as if the, uh, you know, federal government just leaves everybody alone, everybody will be fine. I think that's something you can convince yourself is true. I think that the perspective from inside the homeless encampment is a little different. Uh, you know, libertarian so, perspective at one point starts sounding kind of uh, of mice and many. <laughs> like he's like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna buy the we're gonna buy, buy the nice farm and with the rabbits and you know we just gotta just gotta get <laughs> yeah, out. Of but, but that but then libertarianism doesn't work out in practice. You end up killing the rabbit. So uh, you know you, you pet it. where he can go if he wants to see it in, in real time. What did somebody say in this video recently? Go to Somalia. <laughs> He's gonna go to Somalia video to see the libertarian paradise of Somalia. Somebody yeah. was talking about the democracy now did a thing on that Clyde Kerr guy. Did you see that? The Clyde officer in Louisiana that killed himself on the steps of the police station. No, I believe that's Cedric's cousin, Cedric uh Johnson's cousin. He sent us a video of that shit before it aired. Fuck. Yeah. So so look, I, I think it's um all of which is to say. That I think that I think that there are some 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 very good motives mixed in with there the anti-war activism. I think that there's a lot of obliviousness about you know social realities and 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 just some straight up delusion mixed in there. Uh, but uh, but I don't think he's a grifter. I think he absolutely believes everything that he is saying. Uh, I, it, it's just you know I mean he believes it, right? Let's you know that's that's the uh, that's. I, I don't think it makes any sense, but I do think that he believes that it's true. Well, ironically, it's kind of like the like the LARPing revolutionary communists that kind of run around because oh, yeah. it's like this belief that you can just will yourself out of out of society. Like you can just go, you know what? I'm no longer in society. I don't want to pay taxes, and somehow society just vanishes. And then you're like, you know what I mean? Like your homestead is all there is. Like in the same way that people kind of run around, they're like, it's time for the revolutionary vanguard. I've declared. Yeah, yeah. I think you're gonna think, think, you <laughs> think declare. you're gonna have the, uh, that you're that you're going to, uh, you know, you're going to do like, yeah, the belief that if people only stopped, you know, fucking around with this electoral reformism and 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 you know, followed, you know, whatever, fill in the name of the twenty member sect here. Uh, then we could have the successful insurrection. Uh, that's the. I think that makes approximately as much sense as the uh, as the Adam Kokish, you know, uh, declare independence on his homestead plan. <laughs> I'm going to build a fence, and no one's going. I'm not going to shoot anybody that tries to come over. Why would I do that? Isn't that what nice people do? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think if you don't do it, good luck on the independence. Um, <laughs> but uh, as comes the the insurrection comes to his fenced property, and he just has cookies in his hand, like hey yeah, guys. Not, a, uh, not a super chat, but uh, Jeremy Salmon from the uh, Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person podcast, which people should check out. Uh, you know, had like I responded to that thing about the revolutionary sex by bringing up Posadas, who's the uh, the best, um, uh, like. So as far as the history of like tiny little revolutionary sects, uh, uh, Posadas is the best one. So he's the leader of like one of the, you know, 200 branches of, of 
Leon Trotsky's, you know, uh, fourth international who came to some really eccentric conclusions uh, in the late 20th century, including like he, I, I think, I think like in the, um, like, I think with like the Cuban missile crisis, they were hoping that there actually would be a nuclear war, which they somehow thought would lead to, you know, like whatever socialism and, uh, <laughs> And he and I think there was something about how he believed in like, tele- like there were like telepathic dolphins somehow this belief system and he also uh, thought that um, that like he believed that like the UFO phenomenon was real and and any society advanced enough to do this kind of intergalactic space travel uh, you know must have achieved communism uh, which is which is funny because I don't know if if Woody Allen knew about these guys or not, but I was just watching the other night. Uh, Woody Allen is this movie from 1980 uh, called Stardust Memories. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like one of those Woody Allen movies that's basically about Woody Allen. And there's a uh, but there's a scene uh, where he uh, like there's just a random character out at this like outdoor event like festival thing who only has one line but who is like expressing like basically Posadist beliefs. He says, uh, I can prove to you that if there are aliens, they have a Marxist economy. <laughs> That's in a Woody Allen movie. That's in a Woody Allen movie. Stardust memory is 1980. Interesting. Uh, he does have a few. Uh, it's not the only reference in one of his movies to, um, to, to, to Marxism. There's, there's also one in, uh, was it bullets over Broadway? I think it's called really where there's some line in there about like how um, it's it, it like, he always does it just as an absurdist punchline. But like uh, in this one, there are like two characters who are arguing. They're like sort of shouting back and forth from, you know, from like open apartment windows. And uh, what, you know, one of them says, you know, love is in economics. And the other one says something like everything is economics. Read Karl Marx. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, he's, he, he's got, there aren't a lot of them, but they're like a couple of those weird references. Maybe uh, because he was part of that new left when he was younger. It's possible. I, I don't know. Well, um, his, his, his movie bananas is a, is a send up. Oh, that's right. Yeah. There's the guy he's like a Castro kind of figure. Leader. Yeah. It's like a slap entire... about gorillas in the mountains and some Latin. Yeah. yeah. Republic. That, that whole movie is, is like, uh, Yeah is is a i guess marxist well at least revolutionary kind of takedown yeah fair enough um all right what's next all right this one's kind of a gonna be a longer longer bigger one but um basically somebody's asking what are your thoughts on mmt so i I don't know i feel like you need a whole podcast Uh, yeah this is not gonna be a complete answer you want to uh um okay So. I, I always defer to Pascal for the image. So, so when we had the Debt Collective on the show, um, Hannah Appel from the Debt Collective is kind of from that school of like Cedric uh, 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 Robinson. Yeah. Racial capitalism. Um, and that's like a big no-no. <laughs> we, don't, we don't really say that because it's just capitalism. And they got into a bit of a debate that went from the usage of the term to MMT. Okay. Uh, it was about 20 minutes because I play the forest role on my show now, yeah. which I way more prefer. And uh, and I just like forest disappears. Like I'm going to disappear into the chat. So I just, <laughs> I just disappeared yeah. as they had a, a very interesting high level. It wasn't even necessarily a big disagreement, but it was more or less 
using MMT as a tool and not the end all be all. So it, I, it was interesting. Yeah, uh, look, uh, here's a uh, actually this is a good this is a pretty good time to plug. It's not going to be I mean this Thursday there's the conversation with uh, Sam Adler Bell uh, about the Fauci article. Uh, next Thursday, I think it's going to be um, uh, Micah Utrecht talking about his uh, article that just came out in the nation about Mike Davis, who you mentioned earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, But I think the Thursday after that, so like two weeks from this Thursday, the patron episode is going to be a discussion about MMT uh, with um, with prominently featuring two people who know much more about it than I do. Uh, one of them is uh, Derek Varn, oh. and the other one is, uh, I hope I am pronouncing her name correctly, uh, Nia Shiano Decola, uh, who is uh, who is somebody who, um, who Cole James Cash uh, introduced me to and, and, and said, you know, uh, you know, it would be, you know, basically that, that she would be an interesting person to, to talk to about economics. And so I know Nia is a big MMT advocate. I think, I think Derek in a better informed way than me, my, my sense is that he, that Varn's position is closer to mine, which is to say not necessarily totally dismissive of MMT, but mm-hmm. a little bit critical of it. Uh, I think that well, the, like, it'd be fun take, I think. Right. I mean, that's yeah, right. general thought about it is like, like a, a similar similar to what we're kind of saying about defund the police where it's like it's not a strategy that works in every single scenario it doesn't bring all good things and end all bad things but it's not like like specifically for certain social welfare policies if you can find the 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 money that way and you want to you know what i mean like the revenue that way like yeah I, so, so 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 i think i think the like there is one particular MMT argument that I'm not crazy about, which is this idea that revenue doesn't come from uh, taxation uh, and that it's like the government just kind of spends it into existence and then taxation is there for uh, various other social goals, like they'll mention controlling inflation. And I think that my problem with that is um that i think that even if you think that there are mmt theorists who say things like that are accurately describing the underlying facts i don't think that's a super helpful way or i don't think that's like a very natural way and i don't think it's a very politically helpful way to describe those facts so like if what because if what you're saying is okay um Governments do have other ways of, of of generating revenue besides taxation. That there's this deficit spending. There's, you know, I mean, at, some, at a certain level, there's just printing money. Okay, fair enough. You know, so you don't have to. I mean, like the part where they're pushing it back against like deficit hawkery that you know that you have to have. You know, it's exactly like a household, and you have to have as much money coming in as is coming out. You know, every year or something like that. Say no, that's not right. You know, you you can, um, you know, like, like to a certain extent, you can print money. Okay, fair enough. Let's 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 you know. I mean, we like there's people who know more about this than I do can have a big wonky argument about that. But let's just put all that aside, and say and say that that's right. Then I think that. Um, but then, 
what they're saying in essence is you can't just like, like kind of the one version of MMT or certainly, I don't know, the uh, the kind of MMT you can buy on the streets, maybe you know it's not the refined MMT you know that you get another. You're talking about DMT now. Yeah, <laughs> is uh, you know they they'll say um, that uh, oh you can actually just spend up to the limits of 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 your human and natural resources, but then like if you listen closely, they don't really think that because they say oh you need to do taxation and you know, part of their explanation of what that's for is controlling inflation. It's like, well, hold on, guys. Isn't the more natural way of expressing what you just said that you could raise a certain amount of money from just printing it, but uh, way before you get to the limits of those human and natural resources, uh, you can't just do that to an unlimited extent or you can have runaway inflation. You have to have, you have to raise some of that money from taxation and if that is a more natural way of saying what they're trying to say, then I think it's also a more politically helpful way of saying what they're trying to say, because saying we need to take away some of Bezos's billions uh, in order to pay for healthcare and education and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, I think is way more of a political winner than saying, oh, no, we can totally pay for all that without Bezos. But like, you know this is a useful thing to control the inflation rate or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like I think you're going to get, I think it's going to be way more politically effective to say the second thing, to say the first thing than the second thing. And I think that the first thing, even assuming that they're right about all the underlying facts, I think that the first thing is just more accurate anyway. And I think it centers like what I would see as the more basic political question, which is, uh, goes right back to the debate with Adam, which is what what do we care more about? Uh, the right of rich people to keep every cent in their bank account or the right of uh, of everybody to uh, to have uh, health care and education and a place to live and all of that stuff. And I think that's an argument that that we're more way more likely to win. Also at some point, doesn't it sort of open up a can of worms for a like for like McKinley, for like a McKinley Reagan wing of the Republican Party to come out and say, you know what, like you guys are right, like you can kind of create money from from nothing. That's because of fiat currency. We need to go back to the gold standard. Like you know what I mean. Like at, at the same time, like it opens up like a weird can of worms that I feel like hasn't been opened since the '80s, where you're gonna have a lot of like libertarian weirdos coming and saying you know what like the truth is that we need to tie our money to something like and and so i I don't think that interesting yeah yeah i don't know i don't know uh totally what i think about the connection there but i do uh somebody in chat says uh uh there's nothing libertarian society that stop a joker-fied billionaire from plunging the earth into a nuclear hellfire uh i i think what's supposed to stop them is that they'll be sued later uh (laughs) uh take you know Take whatever you want from well, that. We're going to see that in Las Vegas if if this bill is passed. Yeah, right. That's that's insane. So uh, when you sent this to me, at first I thought this must be some kind of deep fake thing. This cannot possibly be a real news story. From AP. Uh, but it seems to be real. I keep seeing other references to it. So, so Nevada. an AP story, man. Yeah, it's, it's on the Associated Press that like there's this bill being considered in, in uh, like the Nevada State Legislature to basically to allow essentially the creation of like 19th century company towns that uh that innovation zones yeah 
that uh, that companies can can like organize themselves as, as private local governments, which school uh, systems, police force. Yeah, fucking awesome. <laughs> I saw that shit. I sent it to Ben. Is when I when someone I can't remember who sent it to me or where I found it, and I was like, I Ben's like, what do you want to talk about? I was like, we can talk about this crazy ass shit because this is frightening as fuck. <laughs> yeah, it like, is. The, the the way that they handle like I kind of feel like a lot of people don't understand when these when these corporations come in that are that large the subsidies that they fucking get when they come into your town the way they can build like the Salesforce building in San Francisco you're not supposed to have a building that fucking tall it's literally sinking it's so massive you know what I mean and they still had to go through some sort of laws to get this Tower of Babel built. And now you want to give them a whole zone of autonomy in the desert for Amazon, Facebook, Google, uh, Microsoft to have as their playground to do as they please. It's like the movie Sorry to Bother You with Worry Free. Yeah. No, I, it's exactly... Uh... That yep. should scare the fuck out of me. They're going to have their <laughs> airport. I don't have to deal with your air, everything. And and what scared me the most about that story was what I'm seeing in California with Proposition 22 um, that just kind of went through and really destroyed a lot of labor issues is the first happened. I don't know if you guys saw the story. In Southern California, there's a, a grocery store chain, a very large one, right, uh, called Vons. And Vons fired all of their union drivers. First thing they did. We're going app only drivers. And 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 to repeal this law, you need a majority of the state Senate to overturn it. That was the extra caveat in there. So when all those guys that voted for it because they got scared of what it was gonna look like to be a real employee, you can't just go and hope and and push someone in state legislature left with mean tweets. <laughs> It took real organization from millions of people to get the AB5 law passed that kind of set the groundwork to, to make the tech companies write Prop 22. And here we are with Prop 22, and there's just the day it rolled out, there was a lot of pushback. And, and what was the first thing I got? Because I used to drive for the delivery services. And and the first thing I get is a is an email from the head of DoorDash saying that they can't wait to roll this same thing they did in California out in New York. Yeah. Yep. So Absolutely. there is a war on organized labor. There is. is bigger than forcing pretend votes, people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, speaking of which, I should say that the uh, the guest next Monday is uh, going to uh, going to be uh, Sean Richmond, uh, who uh, used to be a uh, organizer for oh, the Federation of Teachers, uh, and he wrote a uh, a book uh, called uh, "Tell the Bosses uh, We're Coming," oh. uh, which, yep. Uh, so this is, um, let's see, I don't know if they, uh, they have it at Red Emma's, which is where is generally where I, uh, I recommend that people, uh, buy books. 
uh, online. It's a worker-owned bookstore in uh, in Baltimore. So uh, right now, uh, I will show people the Amazon link. But uh, this is. Uh, yeah, this is the book, uh, Tell the Bosses That We're Coming, A New Action Plan for Workers in the 21st Century, um, from uh, Haymarket Books, I think. Uh, oh, okay. So, uh, and and Sean, uh, Sean, I think, is a really interesting, uh, is a really interesting guy. The, the book covers a lot of interesting ground as far as, uh, as, as labor history and, um, you know, kind of trying to, to rethink, you know, what, what effective, uh, organizing, you know, would, would look like, you know, because it's something that certainly if you've watched this show, you've probably heard me say this a thousand times that the only way for the left to win has to involve rebuilding the labor movement. And that certainly has the benefit of being true, but it also feels a little cheap sometimes because it's like, okay, yeah, tell me more about how that works. Right. You know, like, what do we do? <laughs> and so uh, I think, I think the conversation with Sean Amazon and, and Alabama, Amazon yeah. and Alabama is showing you real time how that shit works, man. Yeah. And even are you guys following this donut shop situation in uh, Southern California? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not familiar. You heard about that? Nope. Uh, there was a band, I want to say they're called Drive Like Jehu, so I don't know if you guys like old emo dudes from the 90s, but uh, one of their members has a vegan donut shop in LA. Like, right? Like the most LA thing you can have. Yeah, yeah, vegan donut shop, that sounds very LA. <laughs> it is, man. Jesus. And so, the workers in the vegan donut shop started to unionize and the owner you know he's supposed to be the woke dude from a punk band gave him a lot of pushback from it got a ppp loan and then opened a, a bigger store and wasn't providing uh ppp and so there's been kind of a public back and forth um that they're having which is very very, very interesting because i know people that know uh this guy and his and his band um so it's kind of shocking for a lot of cats my age to to have their like one of their heroes be kind of just a regular ass capitalist. There's, there's a, there's a really similar thing that happened with, I guess the company is um, no evil foods. It was a, a vegan meat company in North Carolina. And yeah, that was evil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, I read about that. I read yeah. about that. Yeah. So cause I, I got into like the meatless food, stuff over the quarantine like i like i eat meat i'm not vegan or anything but like mm-hmm. you know like there's been a lot of those going around and and like my girlfriend's vegan so like she cooks with them a lot so i ended up like just like reading through some of the stuff and then i i stumbled on that article and uh, jackman did an article on it among other things basically they use socialist like icona like socialist imagery on a lot of their products and their labels and their like the names of the foods that they picked and then their workers tried to unionize and they brought out every union busting tactic possible to to shut it down. Hella funny for the vegan meat company. Yeah, <laughs> called, well, called capitalism, called man. No people foods, like you know what I mean. Like literally, their their uh, <laughs> the the name of their company is about ethics. Like, <laughs> whoa, yeah. capitalism well, I mean, is real. Thing. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, I I. Um... I mean, this is what I talked about with, uh, you know, the very first time I was in the Michael Brooks show, um, you know, we were talking about that, that first book, uh, you know, give them an argument logic for the left. And, and we we're talking about why, you know, it's important to care about getting the arguments right and what the value of that is. And I remember telling him then it's like, don't get this wrong. 
I'm not under any delusions that like there's some moral argument that we can give to Jeff Bezos that's going to lead him to uh, you know turn Amazon into a worker cooperative or something. You know, if if we had to rely on appealing to uh, you know appealing to the better nature of business owners to do the right thing, uh, there would still be child labor and coal mines right now today. Uh, you know, that's so it's, it's not like the, you know, the arguments are good for convincing ordinary people, the, uh, the actual oligarchs who just have to defeat. And, and in every country that it's possible, there still is child labor and child mining. And you know what I mean? Like yeah. all of that, like, and yeah, just, which is, which is like that, like, I think honestly, one of the more remarkable moments in the debate earlier was when Adam said, uh, well, it's like brushing your teeth, you know, it's, I'm obviously against, you know, yeah, I think you should brush your teeth, but I don't think you should be forced to. I'm against segregation, but, you know, it doesn't mean I want, like, the state to, like, force people to, you know, integrate. I mean, did you guys I like TV? black guys just fine? <laughs> yeah, yeah, which, which is so, so, and, and I want to know, uh, actually, you know, I, I should have thought of this to, to ask at the time, but I, I want to know, like, if he or anybody else believes that if um, that on the, on the voluntary persuasion plan, uh, if like, like, like when does the, uh, when does the last whites only sign, you know, leave the, uh, the last restaurant window. You, to me, that whole debate could have been over right there. Cause there's really no answer to that question. Cause right. that's yeah. Did you guys- I think I told you, Ben, I got, I've been told to leave a, a, in Meridian, Mississippi, they told me, "Please leave." I mean, the 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 pushback from like the white business owners and white, you know, just in like in general on on all of the laws that would would have pushed towards any kind of racial integration, like that's like it, it's con- it continues to happen, like in in any way it can, like today. Isn't you know it the, I mean? isn't it the kind of the gay wedding cake argument? Yeah. Yeah, right. Totally. Um, Wait, did you guys see? Did you guys see this when it came out originally? Um, just really quickly. Um, this was like from a couple months ago, but um, child labor is exploitation. But the household I did see that when it came out. Actually, gave I me did life. See that. Skills, yeah, and it was uh, sponsored by Global Development, supported by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. <laughs> I, I did a whole show about, uh, with a young man. He's like 19, 20 years old. And he was doing a whole paper on Bill Gates uh, laundering his reputation through his foundation's media work. And also Bill Gates, I think he owns or is behind one of the fact-checking sites. If it's not yeah. him, it's Bezos. Yeah. Couldn't just stop at child labor as exploitation. After <laughs> Yeah. Oh, and in the uh, in the, the the deck, you know, the uh, the below the headline, uh, putting children to work must be seen in a local context. I remember. I think was it? Didn't Matt Iglesias say something like that after the uh, about the like? Uh, uh, did you debate that guy once? Uh, Matt Iglesias, I did not. I had a uh, uh, Matt Iglesias. My only interaction with him is uh, when he participated in a pile on against me on Twitter after mysteriously blocking me. But, uh, in, um, uh, I did debate, um, uh, I did debate Noah Smith from Bloomberg opinion 
uh, last year about uh, about Bernie versus Warren. You know, that's that's the that's the most Iglesias person I've talked to. Um, and he uh, uh, and uh, he uh, and then actually that was that one was weird. And we talked about this because he had like the debate was fine. It was like a friend, you know, it was like a perfectly friendly thing. And then like, you know, he would even like after that, he'd like occasionally, you know, whatever. I mean, we weren't friends or anything, but he'd send me, you know, like every once in a while, if he'd written an article, I thought it'd be interesting. He'd like send me a DM or something. Mm -hmm. But then we were arguing about uh, just a few weeks ago, we were arguing about the, um, uh, whether, you know, $2,000 check means a $1,400 check. And, uh, and uh, then he out of nowhere, accused me of being red brown for the article that I wrote with, uh, with, with Daniel Bestner about the insurrection, uh, you know, since if, if I don't think that it's, it was a uh, fascist coup that could have potentially, you know, overturned democracy that I'm kind of, you know, I must be a fascist sympathizer or something like that. So democracy doesn't overturn with selfies. No, no, I said it. Hold me yeah. to it. <laughs> All right. Jason's canceled. Uh, <laughs> uh but yeah, he said, I remember Iglesias said something very similar about the Bhopal disasters, like, well, you know, the safety standards are different in different countries and that's okay. You know, so that's kind of like the Elizabeth Sabail here, you know, putting children to work must be seen in a local context. You know, that's so, insane. Yeah, there was, a, there was a, a tweet. I can't find it. I know Nando originally posted it like a couple months back. The original tweet that explained the article was, was much worse than the actual there was like uh and it, it was along the same lines like child labor must be seen in a local context yeah um, yeah which, which is just like yeah i mean like whatever like something that you'd hope that uh every you know everybody from revolutionary communists to uh to bathwater liberals could get together on is child labor is bad what else are they going to do with their time <laughs> learn don't think so well it, brown it, they are yeah, yeah. it's like the uh, like the simpsons the teacher strike episode you know uh when when nando krabappel's talking about the children's future and skinner says these children have no future and everybody's staring at him he's like oh prove me wrong kids prove me wrong <laughs> that's that's kind of what the, i read this when it came out because someone posted it on twitter like what the fuck and uh yeah yeah it, it, that's from the guardian right yeah looks like it yeah um but then it also makes you think really hard about you know the the fact that uh that that bill gates has invested so much money and energy and energy into like so-called like third world countries wherever you can find them whether it's in africa whether it's in you know parts of asia whether it's in latin america like poorer countries like he's been putting a lot of money into those countries for like you know research purposes scientific purposes like obviously like the the vaccine programs is the most you know seen but like then then he turns around and, and his foundation endorses a child labor take like i don't know not he fucks up public health in a lot of those countries um i, I don't know if yeah. you know if you guys have had the dude on your show or or read his book andres malm had a book called like corona uh climate war communism in the 21st century uh great book man i thought so um and and he talks a little bit about bill gates and his his work and how that is antithetical to actually doing anything good out there and 
there's an Indian woman that actually has done some really good work. What is her name? You know who I'm talking about, Ben. Um, she does the work with the seeds. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. I don't know the name. She's been calling out Bill Gates for years. Yeah. Years well, on, on shit like this. Yeah. I mean, look. He destroyed if, India. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to, I mean, like, there is a really basic thing here, which is, you know, even apart from uh, the, the, you know, the specific decisions, you know, made by the, the Gates Foundation, like, um, you know, like, this is the problem with, like, do you want, because once you start spending billions of dollars like this, it, it's almost ridiculous to, to say that's charity. That's just a, uh, that's, that's, that's just a private individual setting social policy uh, that they're, you know, that they're doing the equivalent of government programs. But the problem is that unlike actual government programs, uh, they're not under any sort of collective democratic control. You know, they're, they're, yep. they're just according to the whims. Of Common core math. Common yeah. Math. Anybody got kids that they get all mad about the fucking homework because they don't want to do the common core breakdown? Blame that dude. Yeah, yeah. No, my, uh, yeah, I'm familiar. My my mom is retired now, but she was in uh, math education and, uh, mm. and and I've, I've, I've definitely heard about that. Uh, Forrest is, uh, oh, oh she's yep. the headline. Yeah. Um, Bill Gates is now the largest farmland owner yeah. in America. Trying to look like Mr. But, uh, Rogers and shit. Really, he's really been putting and, in Oh, he's, he's reading the new Jim Crow. <laughs> has anybody uh has anybody really been putting in uh more more work than bill gates throughout this uh maybe maybe elon musk i guess <laughs> throughout yeah. the pandemic <laughs> I, I love the fact that he wants you to see the book collection of like look what's wrong with me <laughs> yeah that was great. he's got his most mr rogersy sweater on too yeah I, I would actually go so far as to say that the uh the same way that um you know the same way that uh, that democracy is an overturn with selfies, uh, that um, you know that that uh, racial inequality is an overturn with reading lists. Don't tell that to Oprah, because <laughs> she is going to disagree, and everyone that likes Obama is going to disagree. Oprah, come on the Give Them an Argument podcast. Uh, you know, make 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 your argument. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I feel like if yeah. Oprah came on the show, you guys would love her because she is a, such a charming woman. No, I, I'm sure. I'm sure. I would love Oprah because she'd be too charming, and I couldn't even get mad at her. Everybody yeah. in the chat gets a car. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, unless we've got any chat super chat questions left, um, <laughs> there's there's a there's one on the 1972 National Black Political Convention. Um. And there's one on uh, whether you've read Against the Market by David McNally. Okay. I have not read that book, and uh, I am not up on the 1972 Black Political Convention. Uh, Jason, you got anything for either of those? Uh, is that the year Shirley Chisholm ran for president? That sounds right. This is actually starting to come back to me from uh, – from, from That's all I can gather from that. That that's more of a Pascal might know a little bit more about the particulars, but I believe that's the year Chisholm ran for president. Which I'd uh, I'd like to. By the way, um, somebody mentioned this in the chat earlier. I definitely like to do some kind of watch through, comment through, or something on uh, Judas and the Black Messiah that's coming out on the twelfth. 
the the Fred Hampton movie. And I'd like to go deeper into the Fred Hampton. Yeah, let's, let's do. Um, um, we can yeah, we can I'm, watch it on the um, we can watch it on the Discord. Right. Oh, you can. And then I, so. I, I, I think I know people who've done that. That you can like obviously you can't you know do stuff like that here on YouTube. It's on, it's on HBO Max. It's going to come out as soon as it drops. Yeah. On HBO. Yeah, yeah, Anything on Amazon, you can stream on Twitch. Did you know that? Interested. Okay. But I I definitely like to do a um a stream on it. Uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's yeah, let's let's do both. We have a big posse up one. Yeah, let's let's yeah. for sure. Yeah, let's I for sure. Do, do the, I want to do, do posse cut, and I'm asking you guys right now: Are you down to do posse cut on RoboCop as the perfect metaphor for neoliberalism? Hell yeah, yeah. I, I'd be down for that. Yeah. Um, do posse cut. Yeah. No, RoboCop's definitely. Um, which uh, is is feeling. Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's. <laughs> I played the intro to a show one day, and I was like, forgot how right on it is to the literal definition of. They say in the thing like, and once we we own the police department. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Anderson on the show, which is uh, that's an interesting thought. Uh, which you know she. I actually think she has pretty good politics from what I've been able to She's tell. She's been moving left of late. Uh, she I think she was pro Bernie, wasn't she? She was also has a really close friendship with Assange. So she's been. Oh, word. Yeah. So she so she went on. I, ben, you don't you, you didn't ever see this? Uh, she went on the View to defend uh, Julian Assange and ended oh, up getting in debate great. with all of them, and it was it was a pretty great. It was a pretty great moment. Uh, yeah. Wow. Gotta check that out. But yeah, no RoboCop. Uh, yeah, we, we should we should talk about uh, we should talk about RoboCop in the um, uh, in the movie series and uh, and yeah, if it's you know whatever it might look like, let's let's do something about the Fred Hampton movie. But I am um, I'm going to uh, cut it there uh, for uh, for tonight, uh, since, uh, we've been going for four hours and 17 minutes. Is this, a, is this our record main episode? I think it is. I think this might be our record main episode. There was a, there was a, one of the Sunday night debate live streams was even longer than this, but I think this is the, uh, uh, I think this is the, uh, the wow. record, uh, the record made episode time. Um, Somebody in the chat suggested I, I debate Megan McCain, Megan, uh, you know, my, my, my DMs are open, go for it. Um, friend of the show, friend of the show, <laughs> she is she is really just a one woman refutation of the idea that we live in a meritocracy. It's just amazing that you <laughs> you get to. Um, and my father would disagree with all of your arguments, and <laughs> I'm just not having it. Like my father, he, yeah, she's no, on TV. <laughs> YouTube supercuts of Megan McCain saying, "My father, my father, my father." Like <laughs> on TV, <laughs> major network, morning, daytime TV. Why? I know that's what I'm saying about meritocracy. I think you could literally, like, open up the phone book to a random page and just like throw a dart at it, and whoever you came up with, there's like a three out of four chance that they'd be better at doing what Megan McCain does than Megan McCain is. I mean, what, those be a punching bag for everybody that comes on the show. Say again. <laughs> I said, just be a punching bag and a heel for everybody that comes on the show. I don't know. She's pretty good at that. She <laughs> doesn't, she have another show on Fox. Does she? 
<laughs> Probably. Or she's always on Fox. She's, I don't understand w- who watches her because I've never, and again, this is, I'm coming from someone that lived in right wing circles. I've never heard someone say, and, but you know, Megan McCain has a good point. Like, never. <laughs> never. Look, I don't really agree with her politics, but when she said the thing about my father, who can. No, nobody has ever thought that Megan McCain has made a good point. Like, all she does is just be personally aggrieved about things. Uh, and, like, it's just generic right wing talking points at best. Uh, at worst, it's it's just being in, you know, being insulted, you know, on behalf of the ghost of John McCain. Uh, <laughs> it, it's just like, you know, it's, it's, I, I mean, it is, it is, I mean, honestly, if I were a right winger, I would be mad that that's who is there representing me. There, there is though a, a point about how we're never going to get out of the, the, you know, like policy paradigm we're in as long as all these mainstream, both pundits and politicians feel like their personal legacies are tied up in these policies. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we're, we I don't, I don't, yeah. of, like, although, I, I, although I will, I will say that sometimes it's good that people have, um, you know, that, that people personalize, you know, policies like that. I, I still think that probably the only reason that we got through four years of Trump without a uh, war again, like an all out war against Iran is because Trump knew that invading Iran was John McCain's dying wish. She said that with a straight face. No, no, this this. Oh. <laughs> um, Megan McCain did do a documentary with Van Jones, and we're we're gonna do a whole episode about uh, bullshit like that <laughs> and Van Jones. Awesome. All right. Um, so let's uh, yeah let's let's leave it there. So uh, just to um, actually before you get off, uh, you know, Jason, is there anything you want to plug that's going up? Uh, we're having a show tomorrow, uh, a good friend of mine that is a, a public defender for uh, immigra- deportation cases uh, is defending a client right now. It's actually a very big case. It's very important. It's not getting an- enough attention. Um, so thank you very much, Ben, for letting me come on here and say this, even though, you know, uh, she has a client. Uh, he has won his a case for asylum twice. He's been locked in immigration jail for three and a half years. He's caught COVID inside all because after he won the second time, the Trump administration said, redo it. He at 18 years old, got a an, an FBI informant tattooed a gang. Uh-oh. During the, the first wave of El Salvadorians coming over in the, in the eighties after the. So, the sorry. Wars. Sorry. You, you cut off for a second, Jason. You were saying oh, a uh, FBI informant. A uh, tattooed uh, gang uh, sign on his neck. Um, so he is afraid. And, he, you know, this was when he was a young man. He's afraid to go back to El Salvador because he fears that he will die. He'll get killed if he goes back. I mean, his family did leave for, for a very good reason um, when he was younger. And he grew up in the States. And again, he won his asylum case twice. And because of the Trump administration saying go back again, 
he has to i think it's next week he has another shot at uh winning for the third and hopefully the final time but he has been incarcerated the whole time because it's technically not incarceration when you're in these immigration holding facilities so she's coming on the show to talk about that case some more um because we want to give it as much attention as as possible uh, because I think it's 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 one of the things we don't really talk about that get lost in kids in cages is is these immigration policies that started before Trump and and more so during Clinton. Outstanding. Yeah, that's great. So yeah, people should uh, should check that out. They should check out uh, this is revolution. Um, and as far as uh, what's coming up on uh, this channel, yes, thank you for that, Andy. And by the way, uh, uh, Jandrew World, our uh, graphic designer, uh, has already you know done some preliminary pencil stuff for Libertarian Superman. He sent it to me, and it, it looks great. So, um, but uh, and and yes, uh, thank you, Andy. Uh, please do uh, pre-order the book at Red Emma's. There's the uh, there's the link. Uh, Canceling comedians while the world burns. Critique of the contemporary left. Uh, and as far as what's coming up on this channel in the near future. On uh, Wednesday, uh, we're actually talking about whether to switch it. You know, we've been doing these at five, then we might switch to seven uh, because, um, you know, there are a decent chunk of viewers who are on the West Coast. And so that might be a little bit, um, you know, doing seven EST, you know, might be a little bit better than five EST for these live streams. But I'm not sure if we're going to switch it up this week or not. But on Wednesday, we're going to be talking about Full Metal Jacket. Uh, yeah. Ooh. D'Onofrio's defining role. You want to uh, you want to come on for that? I'm down, bro. I right. love that. There's so much I love about that movie. Yeah, I'm nice. Down. Let's do it. So, yep, that's on Wednesday. Um, we got our Bessner replacement. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, Bessner's taking the week off. So there we go. Uh, and uh, on Sunday, we're skipping the usual Sunday night debate uh, breakdown live stream because it's Valentine's Day and, and my you know, leaving for three hours to, uh, to do that wouldn't go over well. Uh, but on, uh, Monday, you're not, gonna, you're not gonna live stream you cooking your wife a nice dinner and taking her on a, on a date and, you know, date around the block, <laughs> like around yeah, we're masked <laughs> and then, and then debating her and then debating her at the dinner table. <laughs> <laughs> As I like to do every Valentine's day, debate, <laughs> debate, marriage breakdown. Let's <laughs> Yeah. So, um, so going to be skipping this Sunday, but uh, going to be back the Sunday after that uh, to, I think you're doing William Lane Craig versus Shelly Kagan with, uh, with Ryan Lake and uh, Mark uh, Warren. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, next Monday, oh, Thursday, uh, the, uh, so episode 31, that's the conversation with Sam Adler Bell. Uh, about the Fauci article is dropping for patrons on Thursday. And then uh, next Monday, um, we are uh, for the next uh, regular episode, Sean Richmond, uh, again, the author of Tell the Bosses We're Coming, uh, is going to be on to uh, to talk about organized labor. Uh, so uh, looking forward to all that. Really appreciate everybody who stuck out the four and a half hours with us. Uh, uh, appreciate uh, Adam for for coming on and being a good sport. Uh, appreciate Jason uh, for uh, for being extremely generous with his time tonight. Uh, so uh, thank you guys all uh, for that. Uh, and I will uh, I will see you on Wednesday. Left is best. <laughs>